Greetings WrestleManiacs and welcome to the WrestleMania Podcast, Episode 4, also known as Trumpamania 1. I'm your host John Stoddart and welcoming you to another stop in my journey to immortality where I look back at all WrestleManias of all great, and I use that term loosely, WWF and WWE eras. This stop sees us venture out east to Atlantic City for WrestleMania 4 in what we'll find out will be a unique format for WrestleMania. But before we get into the episode where the podcast is well and truly back after a three month hiatus, I'll have more details on why we took hiatus, I'll put a short statement on our Twitter page. But I'm happy to formally announce that since October 2017, the WrestleMania podcast no longer hails from Glasgow, Scotland. I now hail from Renfrew, Scotland! That's supposed to be Mr. Kennedy. But as you all know, I'm terrible at doing impressions. Yeah, so um, if you followed the podcast over the previous summer, the WrestleMania family have moved to some new digs. Yeah, so we're presenting an opportunity to move house. We took it, 10 weeks later we sold our old house, which was WrestleMania HQ, and we have now moved to WrestleMania Towers, or as it's officially called, Always. Uh, Mrs. WrestleMania is a big Harry Potter fan and wanted to give the house a name, so if you're a Harry Potter fan, you will get the reference. But, for the purposes of the podcast, it's WrestleMania Towers, and fucking hell yes, I call it Towers because it's fucking massive. It's actually referred to as the Big House. Um, to all of our neighbours because the extension is the same size as the actual house itself. So the extension we have on the house is pretty much double the size of it and I've got like fucking three bathrooms in it, a jacuzzi, a big kitchen and a family room which for this BAM who was born in a shit part of Glasgow I've really lucked out here. Yeah so I'm quite euphoric over the struggles we've had and the work put in to get our family home um, which as a side note was driven by Little Wrestlemaniac, who is currently undergoing diagnosis for autism, uh, and our move was, is purely to give him a better life and give him better access to more services and support that he wouldn't get in Glasgow, which, I'm happy to say, has proven to be right, as he's had greater support, and as of the 19th of April, he will be given his official diagnosis, which is a bit bittersweet for myself and Mrs Wrestlemaniac, but, in all, the WrestleMania family are happy and looking forward to a new adventure in our lives. Uh, in terms of wrestling, um, actually some more family news there, our little and baby WrestleMania skills are definitely improving. As you, I may have mentioned before, I like I like to you know play wrestle with the kids. I mean, who doesn't do that with their children? We've seen the videos all over um, like social media, so I'm not ashamed whatsoever. Little WrestleMania, one night when we were... Um, Playing, uh, I kind of mimicked that he'd kind of like need me in the gut, so I kind of bent forward, and I'd put his arm over the back of my neck because uh, I thought he, he likes the DDT. Uh, the next thing I realised was with his other free arm, he'd lifted my left arm, and essentially double arm DDT'd me, which was pretty fucking awesome to take. I didn't teach him to do that, so I've no idea where he got it from, but it was a proud moment for myself, and without a doubt it's his favourite move, but he still loves taking bumps on a couch from, from myself, be it a powerbomb or an AE. Um, we're getting nearer the day, actually, where I can hit an F5 on him, but I'm a bit scared to do that, so we've been lo- I've been looking at ways to kind of modify, you know, what how I could do it, but yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's it's great being a parent, you know. Um, when you can pass on wrestling, you know, in in a play, kind of sense to your children. Um, it's quite fun actually to do as well. But um, recently, a baby WrestleMania has discovered a love for wrestling with myself. 
uh, he loves watching me and Little um, wrestle, you know, in the, the sitting room. Uh, he's still very basic, but he enjoys, like, a bump done on the couch, you know, obviously safely. And the rock bottom is actually his favourite move. <laughs> Recently, in fact, uh, he was at his Easter party at Playgroup, uh, and Mrs. WrestleManiac texts me um, after I asked how he got on, and I've got a text here, right, because I want to read it word for word, the response I received back. So this is what she said. Yeah, he ate everything and choke slammed a kid out of a plastic car, so he's happy. Kiss, kiss, obviously. Uh, so when I read that, my response back was just, holy fuck. Uh, it was a bit of a shock, really, but it was one of the ones I didn't know whether to actually be proud of this or not. I was proud because it's like it's awesome that he's, you know, he's learning wrestling, but at the same time, I'm not really proud that he um, did it to another child. Um, so when I got home, that night I asked Mrs. Rasselmania what happened and apparently the other kid was in one of these kind of little, little tights cars, you know, kind of red and yellow plastic cars. Baby wanted in, he tried to climb in but the other kid wouldn't let him in. So with one hand he put it on the kid's throat and slammed him back against the seat. Uh, it's technically a, a choke slam. Equally, it's technically brutal for a 20 month old child. So yeah, in conclusion, it might look like one day I will be called to the head teacher's office at school to explain why my son decided to powerbomb another student through a table which he also tried to set on fire prior to it. But yeah, <laughs> enough about me. Uh, in the current wrestling world, we're on the verge of WrestleMania 34. And actually, I'm being given thought about recording that episode immediately after the show, like in the days after that is, and storing it for when the time comes. Purely because it'll be fresh in my mind and it'll be probably easier and be great to gauge like initial opinions from people. But equally, it might be good to, to kind of let it die down a little bit um, just to let people like get over the like, yeah, shit or whatever, you know, it's fucking awesome and to actually analyse it themselves. But yeah, overall, I'm looking forward to this year. So uh, I think they've, they've booked a good solid cards. We've got a good few potential show stealers in there. Everybody's, you know, like... Like creaming over Styles Nakamura, and yeah, I am too. But what worries me about the match is they're not going to give them enough time. It's not that this isn't going to be a fucking amazing match because it is going to be an amazing match. It, you know, I'll be shocked if it's not. I just want them giving them the time, and uh, knowing WWE, they're going to put them on fucking first. So um, uh, if AJ Styles walk, or Nakamura walks out first at WrestleMania, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed in the terms of booking out in the card because the crowd are really hyped for that match. So hopefully they get the time and it's further into the card. I'm actually looking forward to an Intercontinental title match. I think that's a really good show stealer possibility and I hope it doesn't get um, next to the, the pre-show. So overall, yeah, great cards. And, you know, at the time of me recording this, we're still waiting on whether Cena versus Takers getting announced. Um, the rumours are it'll be announced at Go Home Raw. Uh, I'm not even sure what I should kind of comment on it, other than, yeah, I would like it to happen, but until it's announced, I can't actually get excited about it. I do like the way kind of Cena is essentially personally going after Taker about it, and it ties in with something I said six months ago on um, WWE forums, don't it? Um, where I was saying that, well, technically, Taker retired the Dead Man character last year. He did, you know, he left his gear there. But we've never had the American Badass retired officially. He was buried, yep, but Mark Halloway hasn't officially retired that character. And with um, Kid Rock going into the Hall of Fame, um, yeah, there's a very good possibility it could be American Badass or 
essentially Mark Calloway as himself because the American badass character is based off the way Mark Calloway apparently is in real life. He loves biking. It's you know it's really got to play himself um, through this character. So yeah, um, we might see Booger Red one more time. Okay, so um, yeah, we're getting sidetracked here, right? Enough, enough about that. Uh, we're here to talk about WrestleMania Four, which if you can't probably tell, uh, I'm maybe trying to indirectly avoid it. <laughs> so yeah, let's look at WrestleMania Four. So yeah, we are venturing out to Atlantic City on the eastern seaboard. So a couple of bits of information on the city. Atlantic City is famous for its casinos, but not on the scale of Las Vegas, of course. Has a population of only forty thousand people, and interesting fact for you, Atlantic City was actually the inspiration for the American version of Monopoly. Uh, just jumping back there, a population of forty thousand. You think last year we had like ninety three thousand in the Silver Dome at WrestleMania three, so less than half of that live in Atlantic City, which is crazy, and also like. Atlantic City, uh, the, the town I live in, Renfrew, has a population of 21,000, so it's like it's only double the size of where I stay, and that's quite that's quite crazy when you think about it. it's a city selected for WrestleMania. So the arena um, that was selected, uh, it's, it's, they keep calling it the Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino, it's actually the Atlantic City Convention Hall is the official name. The attendance we have here tonight is said to be 19,199, which is obviously a lot, a long way down from 93,000 last year. The buy rate for WrestleMania 4 is 175,000, again, really down on the 450,000 last year, and it's actually the poorest buy rate so far, and that even includes WrestleMania 1. Uh, the tagline for WrestleMania 4 is What the World is Watching, which is kind of an evolution of what the world has come to. And the theme music, as you probably can hear it, is playing in the background. The logo for WrestleMania 4 is your standard WrestleMania classic logo with the Roman numeral 4. And the VHS, um, well, slash DVD cover, I've got the VHS uh, picture in front of me. It's a double header, yes. Well, not a double header, it's a double edition. There's actually two videotapes because WrestleMania 4, it says in the front, about four hours approximately. Um, so we've got a very mean, sweaty, oily looking Hulk Hogan with his crucifix on, uh, an inset of Andre the Giant, you know, wide eyes, and on the spine of it, the exact same picture appears. We've got World, What the World is Watching uh, on the spine and the front cover. It's the kind of purpley lightning background obviously and on the back we have got um, information about the cards and apparently exclusive never seen before footage yeah so um, the pictures in the background there's a shot of Hogan Andre uh, there's a shot of Ultimate Warrior and Hercules and a shot of Macho Man and Ted DiBiase so the card um, yeah I, I mentioned we had a unique format here tonight uh, we'll, we'll get into it, obviously, when we spoke about the background, but looking at the cards, we have a tournament here tonight. So, obviously, I'm not going to talk about the all the matches, because we'll talk about who wins and, you know, progresses on, because the WWF Championship has been put on the line in a tournament tonight. So, on the card, we have got a 20-man battle royale, then we've got a selection of first-round matches, where we'll see Ted DiBiase take on Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Don Morocco taking on Dino Bravo, Greg the Hammer Valentine versus Ricky Steamboat, Macho Man Randy Savage versus Butch Reed, One Man Gang versus Bam Bam Bigelow, 
Rick Rude versus Jake Roberts. Then, in a bog standard match, not to do with the tournament, the Ultimate Warrior will take on Hercules. Then, Intercontinental title on the line, Honky Top Man defends against Brutus Beefcake. And then we've got a six-man tag match, the Islanders and Bobby Heenan versus the British Bulldogs and Coco Beware. And lastly on the cards is the tag team championship match, Strike Force defending against Demolition. So yeah, the background's going into WrestleMania. Technically, again, it's been built around Hogan Andre. Uh, we covered the oranges of this feud in the previous episode with Hogan slamming Andre and retaining the title at WrestleMania 3. At the first ever Survivor Series in November 87, Andre led a team of heels against Hogan's face team, which saw the Giants team come out as winners. Shortly after this, Hogan defeated Bundy to retain his championship, and after the match, Andre sneak attacked Hogan, although how Andre the Giant could sneak attack anyone is kind of beyond me due to his size and lack of speed. So yeah, he'd um, attack Hogan, choking him and render him unconscious. He would only relent after several face wrestlers would pull him away. And around the same time as this attack, the debut of one million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, occurred in WWF. And he started off his WWF career by offering Hogan a large sum of money to sell his WWF championship to him, which of course Hogan outright refused. Knowing Andre's hatred of Hogan and his desire to beat him, DiBiase would enlist the giant services to help him win the championship off Hogan. At the first Royal Rumble in January 1988, Hogan and Andre signed the contract for their championship rematch, which would then take place at the first edition of the main event in February, where controversially, Andre would win the title from Hogan in what's known as the Evil Twin Screwjob, which shockingly involves Earl Hebner, who was the Evil Twin, with his brother Dave Hebner being also the good twin. Uh, they would screw Hogan by pretending that Errol was his brother, and it would give Andre the, t- the championship, which he would only hold for approximately 47 seconds because he immediately sold the title to DiBiase and received a large sum of money in return, revealing that he planned to take the year off and go on a cruise with the money. But President Jack Tunney ordered the title to be vacated and it to be then put on the line and decided in a 14-man tournament at WrestleMania 4. As for why this tournament actually came about, the reason being is that Vince originally wanted to put the strap on a heel and pick DiBiase, who came in a previous fall, and Vince promised him that you'll get a proper push and you'll be right up there at the top of the card. But, obviously, Hogan's not going to drop the belt, (laughs) you know, cleanly. So they engineered a kayfabe screwdriver for Hogan to drop the belt. However, we'll see if it plays out the way they want it to with DiBiase getting the strap. Also, during this time, Hogan formed an unlikely alliance with Randy Savage, who had been an egomaniac heel in his first two years in the WWF, but in 2087 began a slow face turn. The friendship between them was formed when Miss Elizabeth persuaded Hogan to save Savage from a 3-1 attack from the Hart Foundation and Honky Top Man. Hogan and Savage would team at house shows, but nothing more would be made of this on TV until shortly before WrestleMania, when Hogan saved Savage from a brutal attack by Andre, DiBiase and Virgil. Elsewhere on the card, Brutus, now known as the Barber Beefcake, had his sights on the Intercontinental Championship, which is currently held by the Honky Talk Man, who vowed not to allow Beefcake to fall through and his promise to cut off his hair. Tonk, at this point, has gained somewhat of a reputation as a cowardly closet champion who frequently relies on interference from the Colonel and Peggy Sue, who's his girlfriend. 
uh, more oftenly being counted out or disqualified to save his title. In his first major feud since debuting, the Ultimate Warrior has been battling with Hercules over who's the most stronger gladiatorial-style superstar in the WWF. During the match on TV, Hercules attacked the Warrior with his steel chain after a chain match. The British Bulldogs and the Islanders have been feuding with each other since Autumn 87 after the Bulldogs were attacked during the match with their mascot Matilda being kidnapped. On occasion, Haku and Tama would come down to ringside with a dog collar and leash pretending to have a dog on it as a way to gain psychological advantage over the Bulldogs. Bobby the Brain Heyman had previously gone off on a tangent about animal ascots in the WWF and with them being at ringside and would draw Coco Beware the Birdman into the feud when he sometimes made threatening remarks about his pet Frankie setting up a feud and match around the face team's mascots. So, yeah, that's the background as to why these matches are occurring tonight. So, with the formalities out of the way, apparently we're sold out here tonight. Apparently this is a casino. Apparently a future president of America is here. And apparently we're going to have a WrestleMania, which we will never forget. So, without further ado, folks, the crowd are waiting as we wait to hear those three words. So the show opens with a graphic of Trump Plaza and some 1980s rock music playing in the background. We get a first look of the arena here in Trumpopolis, and the arena actually looks pretty big and quite long. There's a big WrestleMania 4 banner up on the side across from the stage, with WrestleMania 4 banners hanging in their corners. Tells the ring, it's a classic blue ring obviously, and mats in barriers again properly. The entrance is actually on the stage side of the arena with a WWF sign above it and the aisle is actually stairs down from the stage towards the ring. The ring skirt has the WrestleMania 4 uh, sign on it and I'm asking you to note that for next time folks. Um, the, the sign obviously doesn't cover the full skirt so it's like the black logo but you see blue on the edges. Mean Gene Oakland is in the ring and he's welcoming us to WrestleMania 4 introducing Gladys Knight who is here wearing a glittery NASCAR type jacket and she sings America the Beautiful for us. Up in the booth it's Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura once again who are both commentating straight away on the Invitational Battle Royal Trophy which we can see is being brought down by two referees with the participants falling behind. Ventura's pumped up tonight for this one Folks, he says that he's pumped up for one thing and then proceeds to name three. Uh, so the three reasons are he's pumped up, he doesn't need to talk to Vince McMahon. That is with Gorilla Monsoon and also for the Battle Royale. Monsoon welcomes us tonight as they run down the card for tonight hyping the event. And Ventura says it all boils down to the WWF Championship Tournament. Which, of course, it does Ventura because that's what you're booking your whole pay-per-view around. Ventura looks rather happy here tonight in his cowboy hat and zebra jacket. I, thought, I first thought that he was um, wearing a top under it, thinking it must be quite warm there, but he's actually wearing a vest. What the fuck is that? Oh my god! It was a present for my mum, alright? And you've worn it! Bob Yuckers here again with us tonight, folks, and he says it's the first time he's ever had an option renewed. We joke there on baseball contracts. Oh Christ, um, they, yeah, so the camera zooms out to reveal more of Ventura's outfit, and we see <laughs> zebra pants. 
Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? In the background, the Fink can be heard announcing the opening contest. Ventura shows Euchre his fists, which Bobby just laughs at him. Fink goes through the participants, and rather than read them out, I've decided to give you my thoughts on them. So, here we go, the Battle Royale participants. Okay, so, really bright pink ABTRs from Bret Hart. They're not the Wild Stallions. Roman Reigns is da. He's not a referee anymore. Bzzz, dropkick. I've got bad news. Some mad cowboy guy. Hurry up and be the Mountie for fuck's sake. Patera ain't no Olympic hero to me. Some stripper cowboy with a whip. Ghostbusters. Commies. Hillbillies. Bow down peasants to your reincarnated king. And why are you outside the ring, George? Get in the fucking ring. So yeah, that's my thoughts on the participants. We'll obviously read in detail about, you know, them at the end. So we've got quite a number of WrestleMania debuts here, folks, so let's talk about this. Uh, Sika, who's one half of the legendary Wild Samoans and a member of the Noe family. It's the only appearance he'll make here tonight and he'll be later inducted to the Hall of Fame by his son Sammy and Rosie in 2007. Also notably debuting is Bad News Brown, a former judo player for two decades who competed at the 76 Olympics for USA and Montreal. He mostly wrestled in Stampede Wrestling and even Japan before debuting here in early 1988. Another debuts noted are Sam Houston, Ken Patera, The Young Stallions, Ron Bass and Boris Zhukov. We got a good shot of the trophy which it's like a free tier cake, if it was a trophy if that makes sense. And we're underway straight away so George Steele is standing outside the ring for some reason and it's mayhem from the start. The camera misses Davis eliminating Houston, Seekers out by Junkyard Dog, Jeremy Blair and Brunzel go over but come back under the rope. One of the bees go, again goes over and not out, uh, Steele has a shot at Nightheart's knee. You could ask has anyone seen Vanna White as he's supposed to meet her here tonight. The Hearts double team on a Rougeau. George trips Nightheart who reaches over the top rope and gets pulled out by his beard. Blair kicked out by the Mountie and Brown. Rio Rougeau is out by Blair who is eliminated by the Mountie. Ron Bass is getting thrown out by Junker Dog. Steele again from the outside taking a shot at him. Referee at ringside telling Steele to get in but he's not going anywhere. The referee points to backstage as Jim gets thrown out. Referee is telling Steele to leave ringside as Paul Roma eliminates Davis. Uh, Jim Powers is also eliminated by Bad News. Still at this point, we find out it's been disqualified for not entering the match. Harley Race headbutts Junkyard Dog, who totally no-sells it and heads him, headbutts him back, uh, reigniting a little bit of their feud from last year. Volkov and Zhukov get eliminated by Pantera, who's then eliminated by Bad News Brown in the same sequence. Uh, Mountain gets then eliminated by Race. Race goes back to Junkyard Dog, who nails him a big right hand, knocking him out, and we're down to four all of a sudden. So the last four remaining are Bret Hart, Junkyard Dog, Paul Roma, and Brad Nose Brown, who immediately backdrops Roma out. Bret holds JYD down for Brown to close line, but he ducks and hits Bret instead. JYD headbutts both men, does his kneel down spot, headbutts, uh, the crowd's getting fired up, and they're on their feet for the dog. Uh, headbutt to Bret. Brown stops another as both start working away on Junkyard Dog. Brown and Hart start high-fiving each other and have a wee chat, talking strategy according to Monsoon. Junkyard Dog is up against it and tries hard to hold him off but he's outnumbered. Diving elbow to the head from Bret Hart from the second rope, they go to eliminate JRD but he's hold on, tries again uh, and he's out. So Bret and Brown are the last two raising the arms. Bret's quite cocky, showing off he's, the Hart Foundation are still heels at this point. 
Bad News Brown with a nice standing in security to the back of the head. Starts stomping away at Bret Hart. Uh, he's done a real pale harbour job on a McCartney monsoon. He whips Bret across the, across the ring. Does that spot where he runs straight into the corner. It sounds and looks sore as fuck. Brown grabs Bret. Launches him out. And we have a winner. Bad News Brown wins the Invitational Battle Royal to booze. Bray actually comes straight back in, drop kicks him from behind and starts destroying the trophy, which the crowd immediately love. Can we call this a face turn? Uh, I don't know. Not sure about that one, but he bends and starts breaking the trophy um, to show that it's a really shitty plastic one that will break if you bleed on it. So in terms of elimination, um, Sam Houston gets eliminated by Diana Davis. Seeker, combination of Junker Dog, Hillbilly Jim and Brian Blair. Nightheart is eliminated by George Steele, Brian Blair by Bad News Brown and Jacques Rougeau, the Mountie. Ray Rougeau is eliminated by Jim Brunzel, who is then eliminated by the Mountie Jacques Rougeau. Ron Bass is eliminated by Junker Dog, George Steele is then el uh, eliminated by being disqualified for not anything. Hillbilly Jim is eliminated by Zhukov, Danny Davis by Roma, Jim Powers by Bad News Brown, Volkov by Ken Patera, Patera by Bad News Brown, Zhukov by Pantera, not Pantera the band, Patera, I mean, sorry, uh, Jacques Rougeau by Harley Race, Harley Race by Junkyard Dog, and then it's the last sequence we had where Paul Roma is eliminated by Bad News Brown, uh, Junkyard Dog by Bret Hart and Bad News Brown, and then finally Bret Hart by Bad News Brown. So, Bad News Brown wins at 9 minutes 44, with five eliminations here tonight. Few farewells from this match, we mentioned Seeker Prater, uh, but this is the last time we'll see B. Brian Blair as the Killer Bees will split up later in the year. It's also the last paper of Europeans for Hillbilly Jim until he returns as the manager of the Godwins, and also the last appearance of George the Animal Steel until his Hall of Fame induction by Doc McClown in 1995. Yuker bails out of the commentary booth as he sets off to go look for Vanna White as we get a wide angle shot of the arena. The the floor seats just look like they they, they you know they go on and on. No, it, the the angles of the shots here it really does make it look like it's a big arena despite the fact there's only nineteen thousand there. Um, yes, we skip, we also get a shot of like Bob Yuker like fuck this I'm off to find some tail. Ventura says to Monsoon he actually knows where Vanna White is but he ain't telling Bobby shit. Well, he doesn't say he doesn't say that, but that's you know the kind of response. That's what it's like. Back in the ring, Howard Finkel says it's time to begin our tournament, and I can't really hear a word the Fink is saying at this point because Monsoon and Ventura are talking about the capacity crowd and how apparently it's been sold out for two to three weeks now. The Fink is running down the rules and the time limits of the matches here, and says we're going to have a proclamation read out by Robin Leach from Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Now, now, when you say proclamation, I expect some guy coming out dressed like some like somebody from like the Tudor era, going "Hear ye, hear ye!" Ah, uh, but Mister Leach is just suited and booted, pretty much. He's got a scroll in hand, which he opens up and reads the proclamation. Whereas the World Wrestling Federation has experienced certain extraordinary circumstances concerning the WWF Championship, and whereas the World Wrestling Federation sought to establish a fair and just way to diligently determine who should be the undisputed WWF champion. And whereas WrestleMania 4 has been selected as the specific site to determine who will be the undisputed champion by way of an elimination championship tournament. And whereas the top 14 competitors in the World Wrestling Federation 
have been selected and paired and are present and in readiness to compete, I now proclaim that the championship tournament should begin. With champagne wishes and caviar dreams, may the best man win. I'm Robin Leach and I do know why. You do know why? Um, what the fuck's that mean? Um, yeah, so I was confused when I first like heard this and he goes, and I do know why. Uh, I tried to dig around this like random remark and apparently the reason he says it is because Saturday Night Live at the time would parody his show with Dana Carvey who you may know as Garth from Wayne's World um, parodied him by introducing I'm Robin Leach I'm yelling and I don't know why that's actually not a bad impression actually I'm quite happy with that yeah so this was Robin's attempt to get one back at him Classic. This is Robin Leach hoping you ballpark Frank's plump when you cook them. I'm yelling, I don't know why. We got a shot of the entrance with the massive WrestleMania 4 banner and WF logo as Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out two by four in hand going, Oh! Ventura tells us only the winners will advance, you, you know, as opposed to the tournaments where losers advance, people, you know, getting disqualified, I mean, people who even take part advance. His opponent is accompanied by Andre the Giant and Virgil, and it's the million dollar man Ted DiBiase who sadly does not come out to the iconic money, money, money music. Big debut here folks, obviously, million dollar man, uh, he's a second generation wrestler trained by the Funks in Mid-South. He was originally in the WWF back in 79 and was the North American Champion, which was a precursor to the Intercontinental Championship. Before he would then go on to return to Mid South, well by NWA and Japan. He'd return in '87 where promised him a serious push and a great gimmick, and that gimmick, of course, would be that of a millionaire egotistical heel who could buy whatever he wanted, spawning the catchphrase, "Everybody's got a price for the million dollar man." Virgil is wearing a glittery suit with a bow tie and no sleeves. Duggan's walking about, giving thumbs up, drawing hoes from the crowd. Monsoon and Ventura discussed the brackets for this particular match, but with no race reference at all get to how the matches are actually set up, other than Morocco versus Bravo will face the winner of this match, and that Hogan and Andre are paired together. It would have made sense at this point, you know, to kind of at least show us the brackets, or even when they were, like, doing the proclamation, you know, just so we could see who's in the tournament, and, you know, where, uh, because it's... I'll, I'll discuss it later on at the end, you know, we're summing up. Um, the, the final bracketology, as we'll call it, wasn't what they originally wanted to do. So the battles rung and we're underway. Duggan and Ted lock up, clean break as Drogan draws yet another hole from the crowd. Lock up into the corner as Ted breaks out, looks to right hand, but hacks on, blocks and nails him. Both men exchange hands in the middle of the ring. A big atomic drop by Duggan sends Ted DiBiase flying over the top rope to the outside. Uh, initially, like, oh, God, Ted DiBiase's selling's fucking brilliant. Uh, I got a good tracking shot of the capacity crowd with Monsoon saying that all four WrestleManias have now sold out. But if you listen to the WrestleMania 2 episode, you'll remember that Chicago's element only had 9,000 in what was an 18,000 arena. So actually this isn't true and is bullshit once again from WWE in terms of attendances. DiBiase is back in the ring. ho again. Uh, lock up and high rake. Chops from DiBiase. Right hands. Whips Duggan off the ropes. Ted tries to elbow, but Duggan ducks under and hits him with a clothesline. We got a 10 punch spot in the corner by Duggan. Good counting by the crowd, along with him. DiBiase gets whipped across the corner and is met with a stiff sounding boot to the face. Ted bashes his head off the turnbuckle, 
Nail shots to the sternum, whips across the ring and clothesline. Jumping stop to the face and we get decent heat from the crowd on DBRC who then hits a axe handle from the second rope. Fist drop, cover for the two. The crowd are shouting ho as Hacksaw tries to come back with an eye rake by DBRC. We get a member of the crowd calling spots to them, shouting off the ropes, as DBRC does just that. Hacksaw sunset flips him for a two count though. Ted Diosi does that great knee to the gut as his opponent comes off the ropes and drops a fist. He looks for a suplex but it's blocked and reversed with Virgil Egan Diosi on from ringside. Ted's on the second ropes, jumps off but Hacksaw hits a right hand to his gut. In the corner with some punches, whips him across the ring, hits a clothesline. Nice power slam from Duggan who'd whipped Diosi off the ropes and signals for the three points and which is his finisher. But Andre the Giant actually grabs his legs, pulling him down. And whilst Duggan goes for Andre, Ted DiBiase knees him in the back, dropping another fist and gets the free count to big heat from the crowd. Virgil and Andre are in the ring as Duggan chases them all off with a 2 by 4 And yeah, Ted DiBiase's first out in WrestleMania as he wins it, but it would normally be the last time we see him as he advances in the tournament. We get a great replay of the finish in the interference spot. Andre actually hits him with a right hand as DiBiase hits him with the knee to the back. Perfectly timed and really it was Andre's fist that got the win. Sad not to see the million dollar dream here tonight but hey ho, maybe in his next match we will. Backstage to Gene Mean now and he's with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yep, oh, I'm so happy that he's officially the barber now. It's, it's been awesome covering Brutus Beefcake over the last four WrestleManias because we can really track his development from heel tag team tag team champion to turning face and then saving another face at last year's WrestleMania. And I'm honestly love love like covering them here um because it's the only example we've had so far of real character development and the, the first time we've actually had a, a you know a face turn uh here at WrestleMania. Brutus comes in and he's got his shears mock cutting Oakland's hair. Oakland comments that this is some package. Um, which the cameras then zoom out to Gene's gesture with his hands, making it sound like you know he's referring to his body part, but actually it's his clothes. Uh, <laughs> Brutus says, yeah, you get it down the boardwalk, apparently. He says that Honky Tonk will never forget him, and Oakland asks him about Hearts interference in Tonk's matches, which Brutus Beefcake basically says he's going to use his shears on him. Back in the arena, Dino Bravo is in the ring with Frenchie Martin to La Marseille. Frenchie Martin began his career in Stampede Wrestling, also wrestling in Puerto Rico, before coming over as Bravo's manager. Out comes Morocco with superstar Billy Graham to some epic sounding entrance music. Morocco is wearing Graham style tie-dye and the crowd actually really react for the rock as they are calling him here tonight. Ventura says Graham will be teaching Morocco everything he knows, which Monsoon disputes as Ventura never won the WWF title, which Graham did. So, first round match up here, Don The Rock Morocco versus Dino Bravo. Bill rings, Avengera says that both men look great in great shape and says that Graham said he'll be back and questions if he is the Terminator for some reason. Morocco powerfully reverses a whip across the corner, sending Bravo into the corner by force and then hits a standing power slam on him. Morocco actually looks quite bulkier and beefier and more tan too. He goes up to the second rope, tries a Vader bomb, but as he does it, botches because he's going to miss, so he just lands and moves over to cover for a one count. Uh, Monsoon actually claims that he slipped. He didn't slip, he just fucked up. Backdrop by Bravo, uh, followed by an arm drag and some elbow drops. 
Nice cut range suplex from Bravo. Nicely executed. Looking at Billy Graham, he actually reminds me of a more tanned, older Hulk Hogan in tie-dye. Ventura is putting over his weightlifting abilities with Morocco working away on Bravo on ring. Frenchie tries to get up on apron, but Graham chases him away. Ventura puts Graham over as the type to pick on smaller men. And in the ring, like, Morocco's dripping in sweat. Like, you know, it's been alright so far, but like, Christ man, you're sweating quite a Quickly here, pal. Ah, uh, Bravo sends Morocco over the rope, which Morocco gets caught in between the rope by his fucking neck. Like the top middle rope, he goes over and he fucking he's hanging there by his neck, and Christ, it's got a hurt. You, you can actually see he's choking here as the referee, he's like struggling to help him out. And he flips, he eventually flips out of it into the ring. Bravo kneels a big pile driver, which draws heat from the crowd. Uh, Morocco kicks out of the pin. Bravo then tries to go for some move on. Morocco, but he back body drops him. He goes off the ropes and a big double clothesline to both men. Both men are back up on their feet as Morocco whips Bravo off the ropes, flying forearm, scoop slam, off the ropes again, and Bravo pulls the referee anyway and boom! First ref bump on the night, folks. Uh, Morocco checks in the referee. Bravo hits a nice side suplex. Bravo covers, but the referee just taps Bravo's shoulder. Frenchy runs in to celebrate as the referee calls for the bell, which Ventura questions. Morocco wins here by disqualification, folks, technically, as Bravo pulled the referee in the way. The, the crowd reacts positively to the announcement as we get a re replay of the ref bump setting up Ted DiBiase versus Don Morocco in the next round. Monsoon sends us backstage to Yukar, where he is with Honky Tonk Man. He tells us that he saw Vanna White and apparently she's waiting him. They're going to go on a walk together. Jimmy Hart comes in laughing, as we heard, and Tonky comes in saying he ain't looking for Vanna White and is looking for something else with that IC belt uh, playing his guitar. Yuka says you guys are looking for Brutus who cuts his hair. Yuka's technically trying to cut a promo here saying that his heart's going to get his hair cut. Uh, Tonk says that it's about the IC title, cutting someone's hair, something, something, backstroke up the Mississippi. Wait a minute, so yeah. if you want to try to be funny, yeah. why don't we talk about somebody's lifetime bat average or something, trying to make jokes out here. This is serious business to us. We're talking about the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. We're talking about cutting somebody's hair. You're going to get it, Brutus. Shake, rattle, and roll. I don't care if I have to backstroke up the Mississippi. Woo! Back to Monsoon Ventura, and in ring is Greg the Hammer Valentine. The epic music hits... This time, not whilst he's cutting a promo, as Ricky the Dragon Steamboat comes out with his son, Little Dragon Richie Steamboat Jr. And both of them are wearing matching outfits as they get a great reaction from the crowd. So yeah, it was like it was a great reaction from the crowd, as you know, this WrestleMania was we're getting proper, not pops, but you know, reactions from the crowd to faces rather than just like, oh, here comes another guy coming out, yay. You know, so they're actually getting proper responses. Steamboat takes his son around the ring and into the ring, holding him up. Little Dragon's then handed to his mother and taken away. And believe it or not, folks, it's not the last time we'll see Little Dragon. As, well, not in this podcast at least. I mean, in WWE. Richie actually will get later signed in 2009 to FC, well, WWE, but he'll go to FCW and then later NXT. Where sadly in 2012 he will suffer a back injury, requiring surgery with his father announced in 2015 that he is unable to wrestle ever again. Monsoon tells us that the winner of this match will take on the winner of Macho Man and Butch Reed. Ventura talks over the main strengths of both men in the ring here and that Steamboat has his speed but Valentine has his strength and if this goes long, Valentine will win it. Both men in ring here, I should point out, are former Intercontinental Champions and 
accompanying Greg the Hammer Valentine, of course, is the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, who is at ringside with his megaphone. Valentine starts by whipping Ricky off the rope, and he actually goes off a few times, slides through the legs, and then starts hitting his patented arm drags into the armbar, which Ventura puts over. Monsoon says that the excellence of execution is the name of the game here, using Bret Hart's future nickname. Valentine's one good thing going for him is that Jimmy Hart is there, according to Ventura, as Ricky picks up a two count in the ring. Get a shoulder block for a one count, and then a two count. Valentine throws Ricky over the top rope, but Steamboat holds on, skinning the cat, and flips up, drop kicking Valentine into the ropes. And we get a botch as what's supposed to happen is Valentine goes backwards into a schoolboy for a pin, but he falls onto his back, missing Steamboat, who's too far away. But Ricky just covers him for the two, you know, and just ignore it happened. Ricky locks in a wrist lock with Jimmy Hart cheering on Valentine, saying to work him and come on, no mercy, baby. Uh, Valentine, now in control, works away at Steamboat as Monsoon and Ventura talk about Hogan's chances of winning this tournament tonight. With Ventura saying if Hogan gets by Andre, it would, and probably could, take a lot out of him and he could be the ultimate loser. Valentine drags Ricky out off the ropes for a pretty hard slam onto the canvas. Ricky flips up out of an attempted back suplex and rams Valentine's face first into the turnbuckle. Ventura actually says it was a beautiful move and it's actually weird feeling, you know, here because Ventura's actually praising the face. You know, he's supposed to be there, the kind of, he's the colour commentator, but he's kind of more the heel, you know. So it's kind of weird to hear him praising, you know, the good guys, you know, if you will. On by by Ricky is turned into an inverted atomic drop with a stiff clothesline by Valentine. Valentine goes outside chopping Steamboat on the throat as he lies on the apron. Referee's just standing there watching, you know, you know, and I've just actually noticed on the hard cam, there he is, folks, front and centre, how the fuck did I miss that hair? He is sitting there next to his then-wife, and if you don't know who I'm talking about, well, I've got a big red button here sitting on the desk when I'm recording this podcast. In the ring, Valentine is still in control, headbutt in the crotch, and again, how the fuck is this not a low blow? You know, it's, it's a fucking low blow, but yeah, everybody gets away with it. Steamboat kicks off the figure four attempt, sending Valentine into the corner. Both men exchange vicious chops. Um, we get a solid forearm by Valentine, but Ricky hits the mother of all chops, which, you know, Monsoon and Ventura react pretty big to. The chop actually dazes Valentine and he falls face first, which, uh, which Steamboat then cover for the two count. Ventura admonishes Monsoon for being biased, saying McMahon gives him into trouble as Valentine hits a shoulder breaker for a nice two count. Well, not a nice two count, it's a nice shoulder breaker is what I mean. Uh, Jimmy Hart tells the referee he's too slow with the count as Valentine hits a chop to the head from the top rope. He goes for a figure four attempt again, but it's thrown off. Steamboat's up and he's bashing Valentine's head off the canvas as Monsoon praised this battler. Nice flying elbow by Steamboat off the ropes. A lot of action obviously in this match, folks, as you can tell. Uh, Ricky goes up top, big diving fist to the top of the head for the two count. Ten, well, not ten punch, but ten head, as I call it. Ten head bashes uh, to the tumble spot by, uh, by Steamboat, sorry, as the referee breaks up and Ricky just throws him away. I mean, technically the referee should have disqualified him there, but, you know, he lets him go. And it's just the usual, like, there's no consistency in the referee in here, you know, in the last match, with a disqualification for essentially that. But here, nope, he can get away with it. 
Ricky goes up top and hits a crossbody, but the hammer rolls over, hooking the tights and picking up the free count, which Steamboat complains straight away as the crowd are initially confused at the finish in what was actually a pretty decent match. Uh, you know, Steamboat isn't too happy as Jimmy Hart and Valentine just get out of there. Steamboat waves to the crowd in what will be his last appearance at WrestleMania until his involvement in the Jericho Root feud at WrestleMania 25. Uh, we get a shot of future President Donald Trump in the crowd with Ventura telling us that he's sitting in a box, which I'm sure there are many of us who would like to see him in a box. Obviously not a coffin, folks. I mean, I mean like a box, unharmed, alive and well looked after. Please don't kill me, FBI, CIA slash Delta Force. Backstage to Oakland with the British Bulldogs, where Matilda and Coco beware. Alright, she is back. I am talking about Matilda. Matilda back after being dog-napped by the Islanders and Bobby the Wheat, Bobby the Brain, he and I beg your pardon. And as I understand, Coco beware of the British Bulldogs, you've had Matilda in some very special training. What about it, Dynamite? That's right, Mean Gene. Matilda's been through some very vigorous training, special training, and she's been doing a lot of hard work. Isn't that right, David Boy? That's right. Mean Gene, she's the only certifiable weasel dog in the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute. What are you talking about, a weasel dog? The weasel dog. And we're going to take Matilda weasel hunting for weasel heenan. Weasel hunting? That's mm. right, Mean For Gene. Bobby Heenan. What about a test? Oh, yeah! You see, I smell, I, I smell, that's right, I smell a weasel hunt, brother, and Matilda smell a weasel hunt. That's right, Bobby Heenan, get ready, brother, because the bird man is fired up and the bulldogs is fired up. Matilda, I want you to eat his lunch, okay, baby? Oh, I thank you very much. British Bulldogs, Coco, beware. Matilda's got to be revenge for you against the Islanders and Bobby Heenan. I can hardly... Oakland nearly calls Bobby the brain... Heenan, the Bobby the Weasel. Uh, Dynamite Kid says Matilda has been through a lot of hard training and Davy says that she's the first weasel dog in the world and they'll take us weasel hunting. Coco Beware adds in that he smells a weasel and he wants Matilda to eat his lunch. Meanwhile in the ring is the Slickster who has improved his wardrobe from last year's WrestleMania with Butch Reed. We go over dub 80s pop music with a heavy beat and we can actually see that it's the thing introducing them but we can't really hear them at all. Coming down now, now it's the macho man Randy Savage who is up against Butch Reed as we've heard before. Um, he's in a cracking blue robe covered with white stars and as always folks, Miss Elizabeth is looking absolutely stunning. She looks very formal here actually and in ring Butch Reed is dancing, posing to eat as we get underway with both men locking up. Reed immediately misses with a right hand with Monsoon telling us he wouldn't buy a car from Slick. Reed backs Savage into the corner and starts hitting with some knees. Matchman then stops getting bashed into the turnbuckle with a stiff kick to the sternum, but Reed then blocks the suplex attempt, hitting an elbow drop for a two count. Got a close up shot of Reed not hitting Savage in the face with repeated punches. Ventura and Monsoon talk over the next round of matches. So far, which of one of them is Hogan Andre as they both got a bye? Ventura says that it's amazing that to win this tournament you'll have to wrestle four times in one match and how tough it is to wrestle just once. Potential spoiler there folks, as Andre and Hogan face off in the quarterfinals mean if one of them was to win tonight they would only fight three times but Ventura realises this mistake and adds in then quite hurriedly that Hogan and Andre would be three times but it would feel like four. Meanwhile in the ring, Reed hits a high shoulder block, goes up top, talking to Miss Elizabeth, but Savage press lands him, then goes up top, hits his patented ill drop for the free count, advancing to a big pop from the crowd. Ventura actually claims that uh, Miss Elizabeth showed her leg to distract Reed, but 
Magic Martin was in the back foot more this match and just shows how quickly you can turn it around with a, well, not intending to distract him, but a little bit of distraction just shows you how quickly a match can turn around. And Macho Man now progresses in the tournament to face Greg the Hammer Valentine in the quarterfinals. This is the last time we'll actually see Butch Reed in a WWF ring. He'll head back to Crockett Promotions just as they become WCWR. Over there, he'll team with one Ron Farouk Simmons as the tag team Dune. He'll later bounce around the Indies before finally returning in 2002. Butch Reed would actually make an appearance one time in WWE in 2007 as part of Teddy Long's Wedding to Crystal. Backstage, Bob Uecker has got the programme showing pictures of Vanna White next to him. He's such a stalker here, folks, but obviously that's just the character he wants to portray. Bobby Heaney and Annie Islanders come in. Uecker, instead of interviewing them, decides to half-cut a promo on the weasel and how animal services should be on his case. Brain saying the only reason Uecker got in the Hall of Fame and didn't get more votes was because he ran out of stamps. Euchre's just awful as an interviewer, to be honest. All he's trying to do is... It's, it's like... I, I get it from, from his point of view, he probably feels like he's trying so hard to kind of fit in. And he's trying to give them what they want. He's, like, trying to hit a promo, but it's, it, he's always really doing is He's just coming across as just slagging off anyone that he can. And, you know, for me, it doesn't really you know, work. Back in the ring, it's One Man Gang with Slick. And coming out now with some ginger wizard looking guy who's apparently named Oliver Humperdinck, it's Bam Bam fucking Bigelow. Uh, he's actually coming out to some jazzy rock music here, not the classic BAM BAM. Um, and it kind of doesn't really fit a guy like Bam Bam, you know, with his outfit with fire all over it and tattoos. Uh, bell rings and one man gang who's actually bigger than Bam Bam, who as we know is quite big himself, goes straight for Bigelow. I mean, Christ, from the start of this, I've never seen Bigelow beaten down so easily. Gang whips him across the corner and misses the splash. Bam Bam shoulder blocks him, does a cartwheel, it's, it, and it's the gayest splash I've ever seen. Uh, we got a crossbody by Bigelow, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on, like, for Bigelow? But, you know, as we know, Bam Bam can do a moonsault, so it's... When you see guys this size, like, the way Bam Bam's moving around, like, Christ, he's a lot younger, so he's, I guess he's more agile. Uh, Monsoon tells us that this is the irresistible force versus the immovable object. It's it's not quite Hogan versus Andre, but let's kind of discuss this for a second here. Who is the irresistible force out of One Man Gang and Bam Bam Bigelow? Neither. Uh, okay, so who is the immovable object? Neither. That, you know, so... Yeah, stupid comment from Monsoon, but I get that he's trying to... Can I put over? We've got two pretty big guys here, but I don't know why he's got to use the irresistible force because neither of them are a looker. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so two guys in the ring. Sorry, two big guys in the ring here. It's never going to be a barnstorm of a match, but it's it's cool to actually get a look at Bam Bam Bigelow here. You know, so early in the kind of well the WrestleMania timeline, we'll say. Bam Bam hits a diving headbutt and starts signaling to the crowd. As he goes off the ropes, but Slick grabs the top rope, which sends Bam Bam over the top to the outside. The the referee actually aggressively uh, like counts the ten. Bam Bam, yep, he gets counted out. We'll stop the apron. One man gang wins. Um, yeah, not a great match at all, here, folks. As the ginger wizard guy tries to raise Bam Bam's head. 
Sadly, whilst he's debuting here tonight, we won't see Bam Bam again until 1993 when he returns as a heel. And it's also Humperdinck's last WWF appearance, uh, pay-per-view appearance, sorry, before he goes back to NW as a manager and subsequently retires in 1993. Backstage to Oakland with Hulk Hogan. All right, over the last couple of months, it has been very difficult for me to introduce this man without using World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan, here at WrestleMania 4 this afternoon. You've got the opportunity to change that. Oh, yeah, it's been hard to live with, man. fee fi fo fum andre One long year, and your time has come, man. No marks, no scars, no blemishes on the Hulkster, brother. But inside, man, I've been scarred for one long year. Everywhere I go, man... All the little Hulksters ask me, is there any truth to the fact that there was a controversial count? Hulkster, did you really get him over your head? Did you really beat the Giants? Well, today, man, in WrestleMania 4, we're going to wipe all that controversy out. Andre the Giant, in the second round, when you're fresh as a daisy, with the whole world watching, I'm going to prove, brother, that I can beat you anywhere, anytime. And all my Hulkamaniacs, they're going to feel it, too. Speaking of the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, we have seen him here in Atlantic City, and I know millions others are watching very intently all around yeah, the world. but if you looked in their eyes, man, have you you seen the fear in all those little hulksters. They realize that when I get Andre the Giant cinched up in the launch position, when I slam him through the Trump Plaza, brother, from New York down to Tampa, Florida, the fault line is going to break off. And as Andre the Giant falls into the ocean, as my next two opponents fall to the ocean floor and I pin them, so will Donald Trump and all the Hulkamaniacs. But as Donald Trump hangs onto the top of the Trump Plaza with his family under his other arm, as they sink to the bottom of the sea, thank God Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac. He'll know enough to let go of his materialistic possessions, hang on to the wife and kids, dog paddle with his life all the way to safety. But Donald, if something happens, you run out of gas, and all those little Hulkamaniacs run out of gas, just hang on to the largest back in the world, and I'll dog paddle us, backstroke all of us to safety. Oh, and thank you, Hulk Hogan. Let's get back to action. Wow. Fee fi fo form. I smell the blood of a giant Frenchman. Okay. Really lost track of what Hogan's really gone on about here, folks. Uh, talking about Trump, kids standing, stranded at sea. I mean, never going to happen because Trump would probably stand on their heads to keep himself above the water. But Christ, this went from his match to just total nonsensical, like... Is it garbage? Fuck, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, back in the arena, we see Trump signing off a nuclear strike on North Korea. I, I mean, an autograph for some poor kid, who I wonder if he actually voted for Trump in later life. Getting a look back at the replay of the Bam Bam finish as some music's playing in the background. Making his debut here, the folks. It's, oh, it's the ravishing one. Rick Rude, who's accompanied by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Root is the winner of the Jesse the Body Award, according to Ventura, which he won at the 87 Slammy Awards. For the most important moment of tonight's proceedings, an award more prestigious than the Pulitzer Prize, more notable than the Nobel, more coveted than the Congressional Medal of Honor, an award most people only dream of winning. An award named after me, the Jesse the Body Award. 
the nominees are. First, Ravishing Rick Rude. Second, The Natural Butch Reed. Ultimate Warrior. Fourth, the WWF Women's World Champion, Sensational Sherry. And finally, the Mighty Hercules. Warrior sounded like he was in agony when his nomination was read out there. But yeah, Rude won this award and proceeded to strip off, literally stripped off, before accepting it. His blue robe he's wearing tonight here just says simply ravishing on the back. He cuts the music and says, you boys are taking a gamble letting your ladies see my ravishing body. And his music hits and he strips off. I, I don't know what it is, but I actually feel really uncomfortable looking at you know, Rude's body. I mean, I'm straight, you know, I'm married and that, so naturally I would, but for the purpose of this podcast, you know, I'm fine to comment on how good someone looks, you know, from time to time, but I just, I don't know, I don't know if it's the oil or the grinding that makes it uncomfortable with me, but nonetheless, here comes his opponent, Jake the Snake Roberts, with Damien and Tony's bag. We got a shot of a girl in the crowd with an inflatable snake. Uh, Jake's got that pure look of determination on his face here tonight and we're told that the winner of this match faces one man gang as Monsoon runs over the results we've got on the tournament so far. So, bell rings and we're underway here folks. Lock up to start as we always get usually in matches these days. Uh, Rude pushes Jake in the corner and flexes his arm to boost from the crowd. Another locks up sees Jake throw Rude to his face to the canvas. Rude just stands in the corner and we get a good look at Rude's tights and it's got some woman's face on his arse with her hair going down his legs. Um, I mean, Rude's creativity and his, his, um, his attire uh, is really impressive and it's always usually themed around a love, trace, a love interest you know, or an opponent, but regardless of the fact, he's got a woman's face on his arse and, you know, like I said, he's, he's the artistry of his entire is really memorable and also refreshing because it's part of his character too. Uh, yeah, back to the action. So, scoop by Rude, followed by right hand and another scoop slam. Right hand in a field scoop attempt is countered by Jake into two scoops of his own. Scoop Fest City. Uh, Rude pleads for mercy in the corner. He comes out the corner and he's knocked into the other corner with Damien, which moves slightly, causing Rick to, hopefully not proverbially, shit his pants. After all, there's a woman's face there in his arse. Remember the crowd shouts DDT? Actually sounded like a bit like Jimmy Hart for a second. Uh, a couple of wrist locks by Jake, uh, which Rude really sells dancing around like he's on hot coals. Ventura and Monsoon talk about brain wrestling here tonight. Ventura says he can still go and could go there right now and compete. He even says that he's thinking about challenging the winner of the tournament. Definitely a pattern of Ventura being a mouth 
pure mouth here, folks. So before WrestleMania's in, and every single WrestleMania, at some point Ventura's went on, yeah, I'll, I'll take him on, yeah, I'll fight him, I could beat him and that. But, you know, if Ventura really wanted to he fight, you know, I'm pretty sure he could. You know, he could still go. Rude knocks Jake down, but the wrist roll lock is still locked in as both men are now in the canvas. Both men get up and Rude is pushed over into the corner. Shoulder thrust by Rude to Jake the Snake. And he puts him up the top rope. Some right hands as the referee's counting to five. And he technically reaches five but opts to try and break up instead. Jake comes off the top rope with a knee to the head. He motions for the DDT but Rude slips outside uh, to the arms of the brain to re-strategize. Rude comes back in now. Another lock-up followed by another wrist lock. Rude whips Jake's off the ropes with a crisscross as Jake ducks under, going over him and catches him with a slip, slip slam. Sorry, uh, Eyes up and running knee lift, but Rude counters. He then whips him off the, close, the ropes and hits him with a stiff clothesline. Rude then starts grinding to the crowd before dropping an elbow for a two count. Brain is outside the ring at this point, screaming, what are you waiting for at the referee? We get a reverse chin lock by Rude. At this point, I've actually stopped following exactly what's going on in the ring other than that Rude is trying to keep this lock on because I'm trying to actually work out if our referee in this match is actually Shane McMahon because he really does bear a striking resemblance to a young Shane O'Mac. Uh, but on kind of further research, it's actually a very young Jimmy Cordenis, believe it or not. So yeah, back to the action. Uh, after getting sidetracked there, uh, Rude's still got this locked in. Jake's still holding on here. Uh, he gets back on his feet and he drags Rude over, but Rude goes to the second rope and drops a fist. Rude grinds for Jake now uh, and then hits him with a right hand. Monsoon reminds us at this point of the 15-minute time limit. Is this a potential spoiler? Ah, uh, Jake cuts out of a cover at two. Monsoon and J uh, Ventura wonder if Yuke is watching the matches or stalking Vanna White. Ventura just outright reckons that he's stalking Vin uh, White, that, but Ventura knows where she is and can't see his room number over the air. Anyways, yeah, we got a great flapjack by Rude, who goes up top, hits a diving fist drop. The brain orders the referee into the position to make the count, and we get two covers, both for two counts. Rude holds another chin lock with Brain screaming, ring the bell. Side suplex by Jake, but it doesn't get him out of the hold. Rude covers for a two count. Jake gets up and falls into ropes as Rude stamps on him. He drops the elbow and Rude is... He's, he's, I mean, as you can hear from me talking about this, Rude is in control of the whole match, basically, by the sounds of it. He covers again for another two count. Another chin lock as the crowd can be heard with a faint, boring chant. Referee goes for the arm race spot as the brain shouts he's out, but Jake keeps his arm up after two. Couple more bone chants from the crowd. Jake's still refusing to submit to the chin lock, which he's been locked in for minutes now. Uh, and the crowd are trying to fire themselves up at this point because, well, there's not really action in their opinion that's firing them up. Jake sits, hits a sit-down jawbreaker, which technically is a stunner. Right hands to Rude as he starts fighting back, sends him off the ropes and hits a backdrop. Jake whips Rude into a standing clothesline. Uh, Jake then picks him up and goes for a DDT but gets rammed into the corner. He gets whipped across the ring. Uh, Rude, sorry, gets whipped across the ring, that is. Uh, but he runs into Jake's knee. Uh, Jake hits what looks like a gut buster and gets a two count. Ventura reckons we must be close to the time limit at this point, folks. Back suplex by Rude. He covers for the two count. Got a double clothesline spot with both men down. Referee counts them as Rude makes a call but just gets a one count. Rude goes for another cover in the corner, putting foot on the ropes. The referee counts, the bell rings, and yeah, 15 minutes. 
Uh, and to this, then it's over, folks. Yeah, so the match is technically a draw, and technically, in the terms of the the tournament, One Man Gang is now going to get a bye into the semi-finals. Uh, but yeah, time limit draw, folks, between Jake Roberts and Rick Rude. Um, just to, before we wrap this match off, uh, Jake brings out Damien and chases Brain and Rude off. And for, I mean, for me, like a bit of a letdown finish to this one, folks. If you take out what's the rest holes, it's actually a decent match being played out to a draw, and it's it's quite it's quite funny because WWE like to kind of do this when they have tournaments. They like to always kind of try. It doesn't happen in every every single one they do, but it happens most times. You see, like another example is like King of the Ring '93 when Bigelow gets a buy, which actually funny enough. Ah, so one man gang got a buy in this tournament due to a time limit draw, and bam bam Bigelow. Got one due to a time limit draw. And wait a minute, so did Mabel. So maybe the pattern is that these big guys just can't perform. It's actually quite an interesting thought that WWE has to book these bigger guys to get a bye. But yeah, back to this match. Like, it was a, it was a decent match. It really was. Less rest holds would have made this a potential show stealer for me, you know. Uh, well, at this point, it'd be a show steal. I mean, I don't know what we're going to see. We'll also be talking about it, but um, yeah, so yeah, one man gang is through. Uh, we go backstage to Oakland, and finally, folks, we are going to get a look at the tournament brackets. One hour, 30 minutes into the show, we finally get to see what the brackets are. Vanna White comes in, and she says she has no idea who Bob Uecker is. Poor Uecker. Uh, Oakland goes over each of the matches with Vanna, and with that, folks, here are Vanna's picks. Yeah, so our picks, Hulk versus Andre. Hulk, she says he's so nice, he's terrific. DiBiase versus Miracle. She doesn't like people buying to win something, so I guess that's Miracle, she means. And Valentine versus Savage. Savage, because she loves Elizabeth. And that's Vanna's picks, folks. Ah, so yeah, Oakland says they'll be back soon, as we go back to Monsoon and Ventura. Think introduces Nick Hercules Dinsmore. Yeah, you'll always be Eugene's long lost ad to me, and then, oh holy fuck, debuting on the podcast, folks. Yeah, without a doubt, one of, if not my favourite entrance music of all time, it's the debut, folks, here at WrestleMania 4 of The Ultimate Warrior. He comes out, standing on top of the hill, going fucking mental, and comes sprinting like an absolute maniac down the aisle, to which Monsoon says he's broke the record for the 220. I mean, I, I mean, I absolutely love the Warrior. Well, he's one of my all-time favourites. I love the intensity, just everything about him. He's just crazy, you know. And that entrance music, he's, you know, and like not even just entrance music, he's actual entrance, like when he's like gets up on the apron, like shaking the ropes, that classic rope shake that he does before he gets in the ring. Uh, and I just love it, like, he, he, the energy that he actually brings in his character always seems to kind of fire up the crowd, always has, all, and it, well, no, sadly not always will, but you know what I mean, through his career it always will. So the match gets underway, folks, with Hercules going off the ropes with a shoulder block, but it does fuck all, as no warrior no sells it, and just beats his chest at him. They stare down, another shoulder block is no sold, with Monsoon running down the eliminated people from the tournament. Hercules flexes his muscles as both push each other, Warrior jokingly flexing back at him. 
Proper lockup now as Hercules is grabbing Warriors here. The referee tries to split them up, uh, but they both scramble away as Warrior hits some chops. Warrior sends Hercules off the ropes and misses a clothesline. Hercules then tries to hit several standing clotheslines, which Warrior no-sells once again like a boss. Uh, but the third one does eventually knock him down. Ventura says it takes three to get him down, and normally guys take a half to go down. Warrior is back up and hits a lariat to Hercules. Warrior has tassels in his arm, which Ventura questions why he has them. Monsoon explains that it's the same reason why Ventura wears earrings. Ventura actually says that they're weapons and that he would choke someone out with them if he had them. I love how Ventura acts all hard from the booth, you know, but at this point he's technically retired. I'd imagine Warrior would probably actually destroy him and no-sell the fuck out of Jesse Ventura. Back in ring, Hercules backdrops Warrior to the outside, but Warrior lands on his feet and pulls Hercules outside. The exchange blows outside the ring as Warrior bashes Herc's head off the steps. The Brain has his hands in his pocket, not looking for loose chains to call the monsoon. Uh, both men get back in the ring with Hercules now unloading on Warrior. Big elbow to the face, but Warrior goes off the ropes and nails him in the back. Warrior then gets Hercules into the corner and does the 10 punch spot with the crowd counting along but Hercules hits an atomic drop from the corner. Warrior whips across the ring and but misses the splash with Hercules sizing him up and gets the full Nelson locked in. But Warrior kicks off the corner with both men going back. Shoulders down, referee counts but Warrior gets the shoulders up and the referee counts the free. Fuck. Uh, Monsoon spots it straight away and calls it out. The bell rings but the referee says... Warriors got his shoulders up and the free count was counted against Hercules. Uh, okay, uh, Hercules batters Warrior and chokes him with the chain, but Warrior shakes a little, takes hold of him and starts swinging around to send them scarpering from the ring. Uh, absolute shite end to what was actually an alright match. Uh, not a Warrior squash, I'd expect, but was an okay match to debut the Warrior, but it doesn't end this feud, which Monsoon agrees with. We cut back to Monsoon and Ventura in the booth area as we wait Hogan versus Andre. Cuts the crowd to see one Sugar Ray Leonard looking like one of Apollo Creed's corner men with the big Hugo Boss top on. We take a look back at Hogan, Andre. Uh, it's basically a replay of the stuff from the run up to WrestleMania 3 we're getting here and highlights from the match itself. We then get a shot of DiBiase saying he's going to buy the title, Virgil by his side holding probably the most amount of money he'll ever hold in his life. We then see Hogan say he's telling DiBiase he'll know to buy the title as we then get Andre coming into the ring to attack Hogan from behind after a match. Next, Andre says he'll deliver the title to him and then another Hogan vs Andre match which we see Virgil interfere and Andre beats Hogan with the referee count free despite Hogan getting his shoulder up. Pink introduces that this is the first match of the second round as Andre comes out accompanied by DiBiase and Virgil. We see a fan give him the finger, which I guess he's, he's not a fan of Andre. Uh, it's a long, slow walk to the ring from the Giant, who actually does look a bit slimmer from last year. And, and I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing considering the health issues that Andre had. Real American hits and the place erupts for Hulk Hogan coming out. We actually see Vince McMahon pulling the curtain back for him to come out. Uh, and it's actually crazy that this, like, Hogan's appearing here in the mid-card. But, as we'll see further down the line, it's not the only time that Hogan will appear in the mid-card. And not the only time that he'll make an appearance in the main event as well. Hogan slides in and Andre goes straight for his back, headbutting him. He's going for a quick win here, folks, as he puts Hogan in the corner, chopping him. 
big right hand from Andre knocking Hogan down. A big drop which would really take the head off us mere mortals. Hogan comes off the rope and tries knocking Andre down. DiBiase is up in the apron and Hogan's choking away him as Andre comes over and gets his head bashed together by Hogan. Crowd really are on fire for this one folks. They've really livened up as Hogan's chopping away in Andre. Andre gets tied in the ropes as Hogan finally tears his shirt off. Hogan starts posing for the crowd whilst DiBiase and Virgil help the giant out. Hogan's trying to knock Andre down. Right hand from Hogan eventually gets Andre down. Hogan drops a barrage of elbows but Andre gets him in a chokehold and then he chokes Hogan into the canvas. Andre's pretty much sitting on Hogan, you know, on the canvas against the ropes and, you know, that the force of that would actually crush you. Uh, Andre's choking Hogan again. He literally just wants to rip Hogan apart here after another knife edge chop gets another choke. Crowd chant for Hogan as Andre's working on a trapezium area. Uh, Hogan starts having that classic Hogan fit and gets up and breaks the hold. Boots him, right hands, giant staring and his clothes lined into the corner. Hogan motions for a slam as Virgin gets up on the apron as DiBiase comes in and hits a shitty chair shot to Hogan's back which the Hulkster no sells and chases him out. Hogan now has the chair up and tries to hit Andre who blocks then batters him across the back, referee goes mental, takes the chair off him, Andre takes chair, bought by Hogan, and then hits Hogan, and at this point, the referee then calls for the fucking bell. Uh, as Hogan, the action's still going on here, as Hogan comes off the ropes, and knocks Andre down with the chair. The Stooges try to get Andre out, as Hogan chases him off, with DiBiase throwing Virgil into Hogan, who suplexes him on the aisle. Hogan refuses to bump, so when he gets up, Virgil uh, gets Virgin up, he just fucking drops him in concrete, really. Hogan goes back into the ring, as Monsoon says, both men have been disqualified. Uh, Hogan then slams Andre, and his music hits, and what the fuck? Oh, hold the fuck on here, folks. Right, so... A bit of maniac, like, maniac kind of finish to this one. Right, so let, let's let's go back. Right, so Hogan hits Andre with a, a steel chair, isn't disqualified, but when Andre hits him with a... They're both disqualified. If the whole world gone crazy, am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? So, hey, I don't understand. Once again, what the fuck? These fucking schmoz finishes, you know, where they're just totally throwing the rule book out the window. Like, I just... I, they do my head in, basically. But yeah, Hogan's posing away in ring as Hogan's WrestleMania appearance is on the mid-card. I mean, fuck... Like I said, the only other technical mid-card appearance he'll have is at WrestleMania Fine, but we all know that that's not his only appearance that day. Ventura says that he loves watching Hogan pose when he's not the champ. As we see El Presidente smiling at ringside, Hogan's pure milkiness, we get a shot of four guys in the crowd spelling Hulk with their vests on. Uh, one of them's got pretty awful glasses, and I, I don't know what's worse, those vests or the glasses. Monsoon says there's 20,000 plus here tonight as Hogan finally leaves the ring, uh, which and it was the match finished like five minutes ago nearly at this point, but he still needs to pose up at the entrance, of course. Clearly because he's not the main eventer here, he's like, fuck you guys, I am milking this. Backstage to Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth, looking stunning as ever. Macho says Hogan was cheated, but he's never defeated, and he talks over his match with Valentine, how he's going to take all this one all the way. Music gets picked into a response from the crowd as Don Morocco and Billy Graham come back out here as the second match will be now underway. Ted DiBiase coming out next and he's still not in his million dollar man suit. 
Um, out straight, and he's already sweating, might add, in his usual ring attire. He's complaining at ringside, and Morocco grabs him by the hair, slamming him into the ring before hitting a lariat. Nice power slam off the ropes for a two count as DiBiase is in the back foot here from the goal. Uh, the one this match goes straight into the final due to the Hogan Andre result. Virgil's not with DiBiase at ringside due to the suplex by Hogan on the concrete aisle. Ventura lays claim to uh, have trained Billy Graham, who still looks like a very sunburnt Hulk Hogan here. Nice standing drop kick for a two count, as Diwiosu rolls out to be threatened by, by Graham with a cane. He tells him to stay away from him. Uh, back in the ring, a big powerful whip across the ring by Morocco. He tries to pull him out from the corner, but Diwiosu pulls him into the corner and starts stomping away. The referee is aggressively counting to five on Diwiosu here, with Monsoon putting over the Hogan result. Ventura reckons that one man gang is odds on favourite to win. Seriously, like, you've got the million dollar man Ted DiBiase here, who's, like, even before he came into WWF, he was well known, and, you know, it's kind of like, I guess it's like a big signing for him, but you're wanting to go over, like, the guy who's going to become Akeem here as the man. Um, yeah, but anyways, um, all the referee seems to be doing is counting to five in DiBiase for illegal holds, uh, and, like, the referee's absolutely raging, he's just walking around the ring raging at this. DiBiase goes to the second rope and misses a backwards elbow drop, the referee's screaming out of the corner at Morocco, uh, shoulder block by Morocco, he comes off the ropes, and DiBiase drops him on the ropes, covering for the win out of nowhere! Um, I was actually wondering how he was going to put him away here, uh, to... You know, progress as we see a replay. Um, close lined off at the top rope, it was, but uh, DiBiase advances to the final of the tournament. Backstage, Bob Uecker is once again looking for Vanna White. Mate, she's with Mean Jean. Surely there's a monitor kicking about somewhere that you can see this. Yeah, but with Uecker, Mr. Fuji comes in with Axe and Smash of Demolition, looking like a couple of bondage geeks. Um, I actually used to wonder, <laughs> this, this is a. Uh, this is probably weird one. Um, I used to wonder if Axe was actually Jerry Lawler when he was younger. Uh, in his makeup, he actually looks a bit like him, and it was hard for me to actually like differentiate it to him, to him. But when he's not wearing his makeup on, he looks nothing like him. It's just with the makeup on, the way he looks here. Yeah, he looks like Jerry Lawler, but he's just like, I'm not Jerry Lawler. And they're going to get into some brutal contact with Strike Force. Um, no idea what the fuck they mean by that, but Yuka reckons it's Halloween and he's never eaten sushi. One Man Gang is in the ring and he has announced that he will get a bye to the semi-finals due to the outcome of the Rick Rude and Jake the Snake match going to a time limit draw. Gang and Slick celebrating ring, you know, like, good effort guys. Um, I don't really see the point in bringing them out here all. I mean, surely I think could have just announced this and taken the strength to the next match, but they've literally just came out to celebrate. Oh wait, oh, well, well, there's Greg Valentine, he's just appeared and climbed into the ring, so I suppose the, we're getting underway for the next match here. Uh, Jimmy Hart's with the Hammer Valentine, as the Macho Man comes out with Miss Elizabeth. Um, I've probably said this before, but I'm going to say it again, have I actually ever said how amazing Macho Man's music is? Like, if I've not said it yet, I'm going to say it again. Um, it's without doubt my favourite, Land of Hope and Glory is one of my favourite songs. But, once again, Miss Elizabeth looks absolutely beautiful here. Two former Intercontinental Champions are going toe-to-toe -to -toe here with the winner taking on One Man Gang. So we got underway with Valentine starting off with a couple of shots, dragging Macho Man across the corner. Macho Man comes back with a forearm and whips across the corner. 
Nice snap mare, followed by a knee drop, calls for the two count. Now a forearm by Valentine, goes out up top and drops a chop to Red, which Monsoon says there was a lot of wasted effort in that move. Elbow drop off the ropes uh, by Valentine for a two count. Hart is shouting, come on, come on, through his megaphone. Shoulder breaker, which Hart describes as beautiful, gets a two count. Come on, get him, shouting Hart's from ringside. Nice to actually hear him using the megaphone here for once. Uh, Valentine throws Matchman to the outside. Drops an elbow to the back of the head from off the apron. Uh, big chops. Batters Macho Man's head off the barricade with Miss Elizabeth looking very worried. Elbow to the sternum on the apron by Valentine. Hart shouts for no mercy, pull him in. Uh, and Valentine is really favouring some, like, the elbow offence here. And uh, now he's choking Savage on the apron. Hits some knees into the quadriceps and tries for a figure four. But Ma Macho Man managed to get to the ropes. Uh, come on, back, get him back in the middle, screams Hart. Uh, suplex by Valentine. Two count. Followed by a backbreaker, Valentine, who's really taking out his savage here. He's really punishing him as Macho Man comes back full of energy like a man possessed, according to Monsoon. Macho Man gets up top of a double axe handle, goes for the call, but Hart gets up to distract the referee on the two count. Savage then chases him away. A shot to the throat, but Valentine hits another elbow and a suplex is then reversed by Savage, who goes up top, but Valentine nails him in the gut and with both men hurt. Ventura reckons they nailed each other on that one. As Valentine now attempts a figure four, but is rolled up by Savage for the free count, with Macho Man advancing to meet One Man Gang in the semi-finals. Uh, crowd love it as we see a replay of Macho Man rolling up the figure four attempt. And yeah, Macho Man was in the back foot for all of this match. Looks like this match was purely booked to kind of inflict some injuries on Macho Man, kind of start to really wear him down this turn. But overall, pretty good match. Main Jean's backstage with Vanna White. He says Euchre is driving him nuts looking for her. He asks her, is she hiding by any chance? Um, I mean, like, clearly not. If you've found her, Main Jean, she's obviously not great at hide and seek, is she? But obviously, Euchre's only looking in the interview area. He's not actually looking around. But yeah, apparently, uh, Vanna doesn't even know who Euchre is. Bum! Uh, they talk over round two. Vanna says she liked Hulk versus Andre, and she says, I told you, I still like her. Hulk um, clearly doesn't understand the fucking concept here and that Hulk Hogan's actually been eliminated from the tournament. Uh, but Oakland doesn't even correct her on it. Uh, she, again, she says she loves seeing Macho and Elizabeth forgiver, And yeah, that's it. Uh, we go back upstairs. But before we actually go back upstairs, um, let's have a look back at Vanna's picks. <laughs> Yeah, so Hulk versus Andre. Yeah, Hulk, fair enough. Double DQ, but Vanna doesn't understand. This means he's out and clearly thinks he's still in with a shout. As for DBO saying Morocco, well, she did say Morocco, but she can't pick them all. And as for Valentine versus Savage, Savage, she said she loves Elizabeth. So she's one for free. And that's Vanna's picks, folks. Oh uh, yeah, what a crock of shit she really is. Um, this is where I dislike celebrities being involved in wrestling. They they just lack that common sense to understand the basics. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying all celebrities are because there are some genuine ones out there that obviously it means a lot to and they love wrestling. But this is just yeah, let's get someone who's famous at the time in. Yeah, and fucking she knows fuck all. Um, I mean, in Oakland actually enables her here. You know, at least you could get set in a sense. 
but the delivery of what he's trying to do, as I said earlier on, like he's just trying to cut promos. At least he understands what wrestling's about, uh, and unfortunately just puts himself as a perverted stalker of dumb game show hosts. So up next, the Intercontinental title is on the line as the Honky Tonk Man comes out with Peggy Sue and the Colonel Jimmy Hart. Ventura asks Monsoon if he danced like the Honky Tonk Man and would pay money to see that. Uh, Tonk's in a nice red jumpsuit with sparkly guitars and a jukebox in the back. Peggy Sue is dancing away and she's wearing an awful wig here, but believe it or not, underneath is one sensational Sherry making her debut tonight, folks. Oh, sadly, they're not playing the classic 8-bit music, but here comes Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, no, do you know what? Fuck it, I'm playing it anyway. The, the 8-bit, but like, Brutus Beefcake music just reminds me of, oh, was it Wrestling Challenge I had in a Nintendo? Uh, one of the, was that? No, it was, it was the first wrestling game I ever owned, and it holds, um, a lot of great memories for me. I mean, mostly because you can, like, go, well, player one or player two, it was really general, like, Ham and Egger trying to take on, like, Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior and that. It was cool. But yeah, this is the first time we get to see Beefcake as the barber, uh, following his turn at WrestleMania 3. Uh, he's got those shears, which, to be honest, I'd be shitting myself if my barber tried to cut my hair with a pair of gardening shears. I mean, you literally could take a man's head off from him. But he's dressed here in pink tights with ripped fishnets. Apparently, according to Ventura, Brutus looks like he survived Three Mile Island, which is a bit of an odd reference. Um, but yeah, the bell rings, and Brutus is bright. It's really bright pink. It's probably his most ostentatious look yet. Ventura randomly gives a shout to Terry Tyrell and Jane, whoever the fuck they are. I actually did try to Google to find out who they were, and got no results. Well, apparently, Prince, as in, you know, the artist formerly known as Prince, is at Ventura's house watching Wrestlemania. Uh, surely you could have hooked him up with tickets if you're really pally with him, Ventura, but hey-ho, lock up in the ring as Pegasus jumping at ringside screaming, Woo! Nice stalling, big atomic drop by Brutus, uh, shakes Tonk. Barber ruffles his hair uh, with Monsoon going, that's not going to hurt you. Uh, Tonk shouts to the referee to keep him out of his hair uh, because that's because Brutus has threatened to basically shave Tonk's hair off tonight. Honky Tonk comes back into the ring, both men bullying up with their fists. Bully, bully, bully! Uh, Tonk goes into the corner with Brutus motioning with his fingers to cut here. Lock up in a rake by Tonk, go to the corner but Barber counters with the 10 spot, well, 9 spot, you know, bashing his head off the turnbuckle. Brutus keeps giving sheer signs as Hart and Pegasus look on worried. Nice leapfrog by Beefcake and a high knee. Uh, I've not actually seen him go up that high before, so quite impressive for Beefcake. Tonky pulls him back by the hair, his elbows to the head on the apron. Snapman into the ring, uh, they go for the ropes, Tonky goes to counter, back drop, but Brutus moves out of the way and then misses an elbow drop. Pegasus shouting at ringside, dancing about here, she's quite annoying to be honest. Uh, Hart says he's got him now and I'm guessing obviously at this point, like, he's supposed to be his girlfriend, she's supposed to be his girlfriend and uh, obviously number one fan. Apparently she's with it, according to Ventura. Uh, fist drop in the ring by Tonks, he dances about to himself to draw heat from the crowd. Hart is choking, Brutus is behind the referee's back here and Ventura says this is what it's, he's like uh, about both Tonk and Hart. They'll do anything to win. He's looking for the shake rat on roll but decides to just knee him instead. And Monson says, well, maybe he felt something. Tonk looks again, but to do it again, but Brutus grabbed the rope as Tonk goes around. Um, Brutus then comes back with some big right hands, goes off the rope, a backdrop to a big cheer from the crowd. He motions once again for the shears as Tonk pleads with him. 
off the ropes and the sleeper hold is locked in by Beefcake to a pop from the crowd. Uh, Tonky is he's fading quite fast in the centre of the ring and Ventura actually quite, can't, can't quite believe it. Uh, Hart gets up in the rape into the strat the referee and nails him with the back uh, with his megaphone knocking the referee out. Um, talks out cold and Brutus gets up to celebrate and he sees the referee's also knocked out alongside Tonk. Um, he motions for the shears, pointing at Hart to big cheers from the crowd as he struts in the ring. Hart grabs the shears from the timekeeper's table and tries to get under the ring, but Brutus grabs a hold of him uh, with Monsoon saying, who knows what's going on under there, as he's dragged out shouting, time out. Brutus has scissors and starts to cut away at Jimmy Hart's hair. Uh, they're quite blunt looking scissors to be honest with you, but maybe they're not blocked because it is pulling hair off. Pegasus is trying to revive Tonk by pressing A as Hart runs off. Uh, Peggy has a water jug and revives Tonk as Brutus comes in with a big shears as the referee, free referees now stop him. Uh, Hart, Hart, Tonk and Sue leave as Ventura's calling for a decision. The original referee, by the way, is still out cold at this point, you know. Fink announces that Brutus wins by disqualification, but due to the rules, no title change occurs tonight for Beefcake, sadly. And to be honest, I'm quite gutted from because that's over the last four manias. Like, I've really become quite a Brutus the Barber Beefcake fan. And see, to be perfectly honest with you, I wasn't really much of a fan. Like, I'm um, growing up, the only, the only t- time I ever really saw Brutus Beefcake was WrestleMania 9 as part of the, you know, like, the fucking Mega Maniacs. Like, as I've said before, I've really enjoyed watching Beefcake progress over the last four shows, and like I said, I'm absolutely gutted for him tonight. But yeah, Honky Tonk, once again, putting him over as the cowardly heel. He'll do anything to make sure he holds on to the title. As we see him leave and get a replay of Jimmy Hart getting his hair cut. Uh, Monsoon actually tells us that he gave him a good trim job and I'm glad he never slipped up with those words there as he sends us back to Bob Uecker and guess what folks, he's still looking for Vanna White. Uh, it's getting serious for him uh, as a massive big hand is draped on his shoulder. Andre's hands actually look bigger than Uecker's head here. Uh, as we hear, Andre says he's the only professional wrestler who's still undefeated. Hey folks, side note here, still me by the way, I don't even know why I'm doing a side note and then I could just keep talking, but anyways, Andre's deluded and he still thinks he's undefeated at this point when we all know he's not undefeated by the time he even fought Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 3 and of course, he lost in that match there, so how he can think he's undefeated is beyond me, but hey ho, maybe he's just had another 14 bottles of wine prior to this promo and has simply forgot. Back to you John. Thanks John. Yeah, so Andre says he's done his job and he did what DiBiase's paid him to do, make sure that Hogan doesn't win. Andre says Hulkamania's over, you could ask him to get his foot off his shoulder, with Andre start strangling him, and this, like, I'm just waiting for, like, a real-life version of Pop-Up Pirate ticket here, I'm just waiting for, like, Yuka's head to go, apparently that's what the sounds of, like, a man's head popping off of their shoulders sounds like. Back in the arena, we get Polynesian music playing as Bobby the Brain Heenan leads out the Islanders making their debut tonight, Haku and Tama. Uh, they're draped in beads like it's Mardi Gras, with the Brain coming out in a straight jacket for this one. Rule Britannia starts to play to a big pop from the crowd as the Bulldogs come out with Matilda. Bulldogs are wearing some awesome Union Jack capes here, which I absolutely love, and to be honest, I feel like I should have in my life. They are teaming up with Coco Beware for this six-man tag as we see Brain run faster than he probably ever has in his life as Matilda chases him out the ring. 
Until then, Freddie are on their platforms as Dynamite gets us underway with a couple of hip tosses to both Islanders. And, you know, Dynamite Kid, like, he's, his name, like, you know, lives up to his actual pace. He's fucking fast. He's so fast, he has, like, Dynamite, like, and I love the pace that we get off to a start with here. Nice double chalk to the throat is followed by a slingshot sending Tama into the corner to the outside. Davy Boy gets tagged in and misses an elbow drop as the eye-popping fucking crazy Haku is tagged in. High cross body by Davy gets a two count with Monsoon telling us that Haku is a tremendous frost crick. Nice crucifix by Davy for a two count. Yeah, he might be in a straight jacket, but he's still part of this match. I'm not not sure why he's got the straight jacket here for some reason. Islanders get tagged up. Where, but with Davey, with a powerful press slam on Tama. Ventura says Brain has saved himself here. Like, yeah, for senior prom, retorts Monsoon. Davey tags Coco in to a nice big high drop kick by the Birdman. The Islanders double team, but Coco head scissors take over them. Demi gets tagged back into a nice big stiff clothesline. Ventura says Heenan looks like a Chinaman. Okay. Uh, well, it's the 80s in it, folks, so, like, you know. Mild racism in any forms is acceptable apparently back then, but not now. Heenan gets tagged in, kicks away at Dynamite's head, he's still in a straitjacket. Dynamite comes back eating with a shot, but he runs away and tags Tama in. Big backdrop by Tama, Monsoon tells us that Dynamite is back to 100% after these injury problems. Tama tries a Vader bomb, but Dynamite gets the knees up and tags Coco back in. Coco keeps the Islanders at bay, but Haku nails him with a kick as Monsoon questions the legal man. Ventura runs down how ugly Matilda is and expects her to piss all over the ring post. Monsoon chides him about the millions of kids that love her. Brain gets tagged in, kicks at Coco, knees him, and Ventura tells us he loves his wrestling outfit, which Monsoon also questions, but Ventura reckons that Tony has checked it all out. Brain is actually trying to wrestle here, folks, uh, but he gets ripped across the ring and thrown into the ring post. Taman Haku attack Coco and then all six men on the ring, our Islanders slam Coco and keep him down, slam Brain on Coco with the referee counting the three with Bobby the Brain, he didn't believe or not, picking up the win for his team. Dynamite Kid just doesn't give a shit at this point and starts headbutting Islanders as Davy Boy chases the Brain with Matilda, setting her on him. Cam- cameraman actually falls over at this point, chasing him as the face team chase Bobby the Brain all the way backstage. But yeah, fair play to uh, Bobby Heenan for properly giving this a go. In this match, sure, yeah, not a great one, but um, no, Dynamite Kid, like, good to see that he's properly back to himself. Like, um, like fucking when he flew, fell, fell off, like, the top rope in WrestleMania 2. Like, Christ, man, that was hard concrete, man. I'm surprised it didn't kill him. Fink directs our attention to the WrestleMania 4 banner to acknowledge the presence of one of the greats. Guess who it is, folks? Jesse Ventura. Who, <laughs> believe it or not, actually gets a pretty good reaction from the crowd as he steps up on the platform, taking his jack off to pose for the crowd, as we get Jesse chants from the crowd. The Fink then explains, due to the Hogan-Andrew result, Ted DiBiase will get a bye to the final, with DiBiase standing ring wearing his million dollar suit, looking all fucking chuffed, shouting, that's what I'm all about. As One Man Gang and Slick pass him, coming down the aisle to absolute silence. So, the one and only semi-final of our tournament is about to take place. One Man Gang, well... How would he do in a handicap match? I mean, like, surely if he's a one-man gang, he must be pretty fucking hard that he could take anyone on, but I don't think he's actually that hard as we'll probably come to see, folks. But yeah, Macho Man and Elizabeth back down. Macho Man's now in a black robe as we see Elizabeth holding her hands up, not wanting to be touched by the crowd. 
Ventura runs down Macho Man's achievements so far in this tournament and says that he doesn't see him getting by Gangbanger. Uh, Ventura reckons Mrs. Trump is looking at Miss Elizabeth's outfits. Macho Man points away, mouthing off at one-man gang. Slick is in the grey suit and brown hat here, folks. And he actually reminds me a little of Kim Shi. Do you remember Kim Shi, Kamala's handler? Bell rings, and Ventura muses that one-man gang has the weight advantage as less tired due to the bye as gang locks up and pushes Macho into the corner. Savage comes straight out grabbing the beard of gang as he drags him and does the classic Macho Man leap over the top road spot. Gang charges Macho into the corner, got a couple of chops to throw as Savage is now down. See, Gang is actually much fresher, you can tell, obviously because he's got the bar, you can see that physically with them, which is funny. You know, as I said earlier on, WWE have got a history of engineering a bind to tournaments with, they've got, with guys that are bigger, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, Bigelow at King of the Night 93, Mabel at, you know, 95, and One Man Gang here tonight. Uh, it's a part they repeat, like as I said earlier on, in many tournaments here, but not every time, you know, it just kind of more commonly from the top of my head seems to happen with the bigger guys. You know, maybe they could just not book these guys. But, anyways, uh, we got Scoop Slam, the call by Gang for the two count, but Macho Man gets his foot in the ropes. Quite slow pace here, folks, and the crowd are just like, meh, through this. Gang's in full control, Slam and misses the splash to, like, nothing from the crowd. Gang runs into the corner, hits the elbow hole to the head as Ventura says Macho could learn something from Sugar Ray Leonard at ringside. Gang sends out and Macho hits a double hack handle from top rope as the count continues next to the ring. Gang gets back in as Slip helps him in. Scoop slam attempt but Macho, it ain't gonna happen. Slick is up in Elizabeth's face, threatening her with his hat and his cane. Elizabeth comes onto the apron as the referee's speaking to her. Slick gets up in the apron and gives the king to Gang who nails Macho Man. Uh, gang attempts more cane shots but the referee finally sees it, calls for the bell giving Macho Man the win by disqualification. Shit match, pretty much. I actually think this is the poorest match of the night. Slick and Gang cuddle up in the ring, upset at the loss as Macho Man comes off top rope with an axe handle to a meh, you know, not even a, you know, even a pop. Uh, but yeah, they run out of time. Here folks, this is what it kind of feels like. Let quick, come on, get through this match. You know, get Macho Man into the final. Let's let's set up our tournament final here, folks. But yeah, the crowds kind of seem like they're done here. As we see officials ushering Macho Man through the crowd instead of up the hill. So it's like they kind of go off actually to the left through the crowd instead of going back up the full aisle. But yeah, like I said, uh, poor semi-final. But it sets up our tournament final. Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ted DiBiase, um, which... Should be a actually good match between two good performers, and actually we'll be looking forward to it. Actually, pick up a macho man, macho madness rule sign in the crowd, um, which appears to be the only sign I've actually seen so far, and an easy contender for signing a night. Back to our tournament bracketology board, where Mean Gene and Vanna White are waiting. Gene says this is exciting. Vanna says it is, and has to excuse herself to go out to the ring. Uh, mean Gene's totally infatuated with her. He's loved working her as Yuke comes running in. Mean Gene breaks the news that he's gone. She's gone. Nuke goes, You of all people, my buddy, possibly setting up, you know, I don't know, Vanna White on a pole match at WrestleMania 5. Don't know. But uh, yeah, Yuke shouts for her, shouts into the board, desperately seeking his hole once again. Yuke claims that Vanna sent him letters and it turns out it was Vance White, who's some baseball person, I guess. Uh, Gene sends us back as some 80s metal is playing and holy fuck it's the debut of Demolition folks. You know, I actually thought this was like Judas Priest that done their entrance music, you know, or somebody like that because it sounds pretty much like, 
like spot on, like 80s metal. It's actually pretty fucking cool. Decked, so yeah, decked out in BDSM gear with Mr. Fuji as their manager in a bow tie, suit and face paint. The masks they wear are like, they're like Mel Welder's masks, and I can actually see where the authors of pain technically got the inspirations for their own masks, as Demolition slowly make their way to the ring. Monsoon says they were dangerous when they arrived, but they become even more dangerous under the tutelage of Mr. Fuji. Monsoon tells us there's over 20,000 here tonight and history is in the making. Catch 80's pop music now plays as the tag champions Tito, Santana and Rick Martel, otherwise known as Force, come running out. No response whatsoever to these guys, with Tito now pairing up with former Can-Am connector Rick Martel. Hope Bill, suppose Tito's not going to be doing any run-ins because of injustice here tonight folks, which is good, makes a change. Bill is wrong and we're underway, ah smash it is, it's in the ring but Ventura can't tell them apart. Monsoon explains that Smash is slightly taller, um, and also that Smash has got his knee taped up. Monsoon doesn't think that their outfits are legal, technically. That's probably because they're BDSM gear and not very family-friendly, girl. Yep. Uh, Smash starts smashing away, no pun intended, at Martel. High cross-body attempt, but Smash catches him and Tito drop kicks Axe as he comes in. Whip attempt and Rick hits a high cross-body to Axe. Double-team moves by strike force for and a two-count. Ventura says shouldn't count due to the double-team. Wrist lock by Martel as Tito tags in, hits an elbow smash from second rope. Monsoon is impressed when they beat the Heart Foundation, but says he doesn't think they'll win with a Boston Crab here tonight. Ventura doesn't think they'll get it locked in on the two big, burly demolition men. Rick still has this wrist locked, hold in as Axe is fighting back, pushes him off and tags Smash in, who gets hip tossed. Tito gets tagged in, they're working on that left arm of Smash, who pulls hair, whips off the ropes. Leapfrog into a bear hug clothesline from Axe from the apron, which the crowd mildly pop for. I actually think they prefer the heel team here tonight, folks, as Demolition are now in control. Tito smashed into Axe's boots and is then slammed into corner. We see Fuji watching on from inside as Ventura says, I bet you Chico wishes he was back selling tackles in Tijuana. Once again, the racism here, but as we explained, folks, in the previous episode, Tito was fully in on this, and it was just a name that Ventura, you know, gave him, and he wasn't offended by it. Power slam by Axe, well, the two counts. Demolition keep Tito in their corner, choking away with the boot as Martel tries to come in with Tito as Axe guillotines Tito on the rope. Big chop by Smash, big suplex by Smash to some cheers from the crowd. Close count there as Tito kicks out at two. Ventura admonishes Joey Manella, the referee, for hesitating to count to three. Scoop slam by Smash, he then misses an elbow drop, gets up to tag Axe, but and who then stops Tito from making the, well, hot tag. Elbows to the back of Axe's head by Tito, but Smash comes in preventing another hot tag. Axe hammering away at Tito now, sending him off the ropes and that big flying forearm, which Ventura says he learnt in the MFL. That's the Mexican Football League, folks, which draws the classic please response from Monsoon. Hot tag is apparently made, um, it's poor hot tag because the crowd barely care at this point. Big backdrop by Martel and Smash. Drop kicks by Martel and he's on fire here as he goes for the Boston Crab, gets it locked up as Tito keeps Axe at bay but the referee breaks that up. Fuji's on the apron as he gets nailed by Tito but Axe has a cane, takes a shot on Martel, Marella gets thrown off to Tito and he's down. Um, Smash has Martel covered, Marella goes, counts, one, two, three and Demolition win the tag 
championships here tonight, folks. To a big cheer from the crowd. And they may be the heels here, but the crowds think this badass Smash Mouth team are cool as fuck. Yeah, Tito Santana, can't believe it. And oh wait, here we go. Here's Tito, the Tito we all know and love. Mr. Injustice. Oh, the injustice of it all. Demolition head off with their belts as we get a replay of the finish to the match. Ventura reluctantly says that it was illegal to make the shot, but yeah, title change here tonight, folks. And to be honest, Demolition were by far the better and more over team here during this match. The crowd just don't give a toss about Strike Force whatsoever. There's nothing great about them, to be honest, you. Uh, and me personally, I probably would be more of a Demolition guy. I always have been. I actually had uh, the Demolition figures, although it was, I think it was Crush, it wasn't, you know, it was a Crush Demolition one I had. But yeah, we see an axe and smash. Well, Thrash sign in the crowd. As Monsoon says, they are up in arms in here. No, no, no. They're not up in arms, you know. Don't listen to them. Bullshit. They're not. They're fucking loving Demolition winning the tag title. And folks, that brings us now to our main event. No bill whatsoever, it's just the final of the tournament. So yeah, so my thoughts going into this one is from what we've seen, I think we can guess the way this match is going to go. Bink introduces the final and says we'll discover who the undisputed WWF champion is. Robin Leach comes out holding the brand new winged eagle WWF title, which he allows fans to touch. Imagine if somebody stole it and just like ran off with it. But yeah, it's the classic big eagle belt, the first toy title I ever owned, uh, which had like a foam strap uh, and it was like a sticker, you know, for the actual kind of metal bit. But yeah, he shows off the belt to Trump as we get a close-up look of the shiny, shiny. Fink introduces the special guest ring announcer here, which is Big Bob Yukar, who comes out to take me to the ball game. He motions a swing and a miss, which Ventura quips. Look at that, he can't even hit an air ball. As a member of the crowd breaks through the barrier to give Yuke a big hug. I actually notice, like, security are actually so slow to, like, get in and protect anyone come to know. But yeah, Bob Yukar bows to the crowd and they are reacting to him just like they did last year. So apparently the crowd like Yuke. So yeah, Yuke thanks the crowd and he introduces the guest timekeeper to a pop from the crowd. Ventura jokes about Vanna White getting a bigger response than Yuke. Wheel of Fortune theme hits to a pop for Vanna White coming out. The escort she gets goes from arena security to cops to Miami Vice looking mothers. Uh, one of which is wearing Michael Jackson's outfit from Thriller. Vanna is introduced by Robin to Mr. President who opens who probably eyes her up, you know, as the future Mrs. Trump, to be honest here, folks. Yuke finally gets his moment with Vanna. He looks bright red and is sweating profusely. He parades around with her as they both wave to the crowd. And at this point, the audio from the crowd is piped in. No way is she getting that big a reaction. I fail to believe that this is the actual reaction we're getting from the crowd. Yuke gets a kiss and goes into shock. Duke then fluffs his lines due to the boner he probably has now and says accompanied by himself, he's got the big boy with him, Andre the Giant. So does that mean he's accompanied by Andre? Uh, but yeah, DiBiase comes out with Andre in tow and again, so obviously no money, money, money music, but he's got his classic shiny million dollar suit on for the tournament final. Little bit of heat when he urges, but it dies down very quickly. Ventura puts over that DiBiase is fresher and has the advantage over Savage in this one. Macho Man comes out to a big pop in his change outfit yet again. Last time he was out in a black robe, this time it's a white robe. I, I actually do love that Macho Man's gone as far as coming out in different outfits here each time. Uh, I would have expected him just to come out in his ring attire, you know, selling an injury this point, but God love Macho for bringing multiple outfits here. Uh, Liz is in a beautiful white dress here, looking as stunning as she always does. Ventura asks Monsoon 
Elizabeth or Vanna White and Monsoon unquestionably says it's Elizabeth and it's a no-brainer folks from me as well Liz any day of the week the tension apparently could be cut with a knife here I'm not really sure about it because it's been quite naff yeah so match is underway folks and Macho Man is forced straight into the corner as he comes out Andre trips him up with referee Earl Hebner admonishing him and warning him straight away we get Hogan chants from the crowd as obviously the crowd are looking for Hogan to come down here but there's a match going on here, folks. You know, forget about Hulkster here. Uh, maybe focus on the two guys in the ring. We're going to see a brand new WWF champion here, folks. So maybe focus on that, eh? A uh, few reversals as Andre trips up again, uh, which referee hasn't seen either. More Hogan chants from the crowd, which are getting more annoying because Hogan is just overshadowing Macho Man's moment already here, folks. Lock up and wrist lock by Million Dollar Man is reversed as Ventura reckons the cards are stacked against the Macho Man. Nice play on the casino venue there. Drops in the corner by DiBiase, sends Macho off the ropes, close line for a cover, for a two count. No free count and an opening pin here this time folks, as we had in WrestleMania 3, when Andre had Hogan down for a free. Sunset flip is turned into a diving fist drop by Macho Man, close line, cover for the two count as we see Elizabeth looking on from ringside. Andre talks strategy with the Million Dollar Man as Ventura reminds us that Andre promised him the title. The crowd are just dead for this match. I mean, it doesn't feel like a main event at all. Uh, Savage is down with Million Dollar Man in full control of this match. Back elbow by Macho Man, followed by his top rope leap, which Million Dollar Man sells amazingly. I've probably said this before, but I'll say it again. I forgot how good a seller Million Dollar Man actually is. High need sends Dibiose straight to the outside. Macho Man goes up top looking to jump, but Audrey gets in the way and telling him to jump. Oh, fuck it. I'm sorry about Mondria like impressions here again folks but yeah he tells him to jump but Macho Man goes over to Elizabeth whispers to him how to whispers to her sorry and she runs off backstage and I wonder who she is going to get Million Dollar Man is back in control of the match and Macho Man clearly needs help at this point Ventura reckons that Macho told her to get out of here for fear of the giant as we get loud Hogan chants once again which is then followed with the biggest pop of night as Hulk Hogan and Elizabeth come down the aisle to ringside. Ventura says that this will even out as we see a boom behind Hulk Hogan. Hogan's got his cowboy boots on now and grabs a chair and takes a seat in Macho Man's corner. DBOC is slightly distracted as Ventura says that this will even up and one man will now prevail. Andre pulls at Macho as Hogan runs around clocking Hogan to a big pop. Referee starts shouting at Hogan but in the ring we got a clothesline by Millinder Man followed by a nail drop for the two count. Hogan's banging on the apron cheering on Savage. Suplex by DBOC for the two count. DBOC is calling for the three. Nice gut range by DBOC for another two count. Crowd are slightly in it, alive here now, but it's only because Hogan's here. Uh, Ventura says there's no time limit in this match. Good, there'll be a draw here. Uh, scoop slam and he goes up top, but a press slam by Savage, who then goes up top and misses his elbow drop finisher. The crowd are fired up for it, but Million Dollar Man got out of the way and he now goes for the Million Dollar Dream, folks. Uh, Hogan comes in with a chair shot to the back, which the referee doesn't see. Ventura's absolutely incensed by it, with DiBiase out cold. Yeah, so... Savage goes up top, the crowd are going absolute crazy at this point now as he nails his elbow drop finisher for the free count and it's over folks. Your new WWF undisputed champion is the macho man Randy Savage. Savage is presented with the belt and pushes the referee off, holding up as Hogan threatens DiBiase and Andre with the chair to keep them at bay. 
Macho Man is all emotional, hugging and kissing Elizabeth here. Elizabeth's actually in tears too as they all celebrate in the ring. God love Elizabeth here, it's great for her. She's getting to see her man on top of the business and on top of WWF. Monsoon and Ventura congratulate him and his, his biggest achievement tonight is wrestling four times and he can now call himself the undisputed champion. Hogan and Savage shake hands as Macho Madness and Hulkamania are combining here tonight, folks. Hmm, I wonder if that will go anywhere. Liz is holding the belt, she can't hold back the tears here as Macho Man is going to the corner before shaking his friends Hogan's hands. A Macho Man puts Lizbeth on her shoulders with the belt to apart from the crowd. Yeah, so it's the first time folks in the, well it's the short history of the podcast that the WWF title has changed hands and yeah it's great to see uh, Macho on top. He was one of my favourites when I came into wrestling, um, run about WrestleMania 8. In fact, he had won, won the WF title at that pay-per-view, obviously. Spoiler. But yeah, it's great to see him on top. And, you know, I knew, I knew it changed, obviously, prior to this. But yeah, it's the first time we see a champion, new champion crowned here at WrestleMania. Um, with the crowd, they're on his feet. It's Hogan's got a foam finger now. Macho's grateful for Hogan's support here. And he couldn't have, probably couldn't have done it without him. Which is how it's been put over by Monsoon. As WrestleMania concludes with a still shot of the new champion and Hogan pointing him. And that is WrestleMania 4, folks. No outro, no montage, that's it. Show's over and there is no music outro. So that was WrestleMania 4, folks. Um, So my thoughts on WrestleMania as a whole now as we move into kind of summoning conclusion aspect of the show. Um, As for the cards, yeah, well, I suppose... You're building it around the tournament. Um, the tournament itself I didn't feel like it was WrestleMania worthy, to be honest. It's more like a special edition. They did do the Wrestling Classic in 1980, what was it, 85 or 86, um, after WrestleMania 1. So, uh, yeah, the outcome of it. Like, why is Hogan need to get involved here? Like, oh, it's just typical. Like, you can't have WrestleMania without Hogan. Hogan, apparently, here, folks, you know, in these early days. Um, the crowd just wanted Hogan. They wanted him that much that they got him. Uh, Hogan basically got the win for Savage, who at that point wasn't really looking like he was going to win. Technically, it's a scrutiny finish. It wasn't a great main event. There's not really any storytelling here, folks. You know, they could have really, like... Savage should have got injured and been carrying an injury into this match. And they should have had Debiose working on like go let's just go with a knee injury right you know that you know kind of going to the well with that Debiose should really should have been working on it and you get him in a figure four Boston Crab you know even just a leg lock or anything you know Savage had wrestled three times prior to the match Debiose was fresher so yeah like they didn't even feel like they had even little fatigue at all so they didn't use that to kind of put over Savage coming back to win here um, so they could have really booked the main event a bit better but overall like you know as I said it's not a Wrestlemania thing this tournament it's it's a special like I said and overall I actually felt like how could they even draw anything for this I mean like, I feel like I actually made it a poor WrestleMania, and despite Macho Man being crowned the champion, which some, is something I'm happy with, and the crowd are happy with it, the real problem here is that Hogan totally overshadows this event. You know, when I say event, I mean the event of a new champion being crowned here. It's the first time in, like, since what was it, 83 or 84, Hogan won the title. 
So it's the first time we've seen and you can't really count Andre win it because it was vacated straight away. So it's the first new champion we've seen in years here. And uh Hogan's overshadowing it. But as I'm sure you all know, um that will come ahead at the same venue next year for WrestleMania 5. And it's actually gonna be quite interesting to compare 4 to 5 because it's the first time we will go back to the same venue. So I will look forward to talking to that, but we'll leave that for a later day. So yeah, the aftermath of WrestleMania 4, Savage will go on to defend his time title primarily against DiBiase, but also grant shots to One Man Gang and Bad News Brown, who attacked Prison Tony on the Brother Love Show. Ah, uh, that was after Savage was suggested as being protected by Tony. Hogan will take a leave of absence to film No Holds Barred, which they also do a pay-per-view for. May actually cover that at some point. Maybe a pay-per-view, maybe both, I don't know. Andre goes on to feud with Hacksaw Jim Doggin before renewing his alliance with DiBiase against Savage, attacking him during the Superstars of Wrestling taping, which afterwards, Savage vows revenge before a tag match was set up at the first ever SummerSlam, where Savage will choose Hogan as his partner, forming the Mega Powers to take on the Mega Bucks. Uh, we'll get, obviously we'll get more into that in the next episode. Um, elsewhere, Rick Rude and Jake Roberts' story will advance on the basis that Rude makes advances towards Roberts' real wife, Cheryl. Honky Tonk Man and Brutus will continue their feud through the spring and summer with Tonk continuing to avoid defeat through counting out disqualifications. Beefcake will be granted one last title shot at SummerSlam, but he'll be sneak attacked by Ron Bass the week prior, leaving Tonk with no opponent. And at the event, he'd be given a surprise opponent who would be in the form of the Ultimate Warrior, who, in a 28-second squash match, will defeat Honky Tonk Man to earn his first Intercontinental title and end the Tonky Man's longest Intercontinental Championship reign. In the tag division, Demolition will grant strike for some rematches ending a feud in June where Rick Martel will get injured following a Demolition decapitation being executed in him. In reality, Martel will be granted a leave of absence due to his wife being unwell at the time. The British Bulldogs, Young Stallions and the Pearls of Pain will become challengers to the titles. Following his elimination from the battle role by Bad News Brown, Bret Hart would feud with Brown, giving Brown his first major feud in WWF. Hart, who technically is a heel, was becoming increasingly popular with the crowd following this, with Hart receiving, believe it or not, most fan mail of any superstar at the time, according to Vince McMahon. Instead of splitting up the Hart Foundation, they would turn face, with Jimmy Hart being fired as their manager. Whilst Brett would feud with Brown, the, the foundation would soon begin a feud with the Fabulous Rujos, who would be turning heel in Spring 88 with Jimmy Hart, retaliating from his termination by agreeing to become their manager, and in storyline would claim to still legally be managing the Hart Foundation, taking 25% of their earnings, giving it as a bonus to his new clients. Jimmy Hart would also assist Demolition retaining their tag titles at against the foundation at SummerSlam. So yeah, that's the aftermath facts. It's Vacant's first title reign in over 20 years. Yeah, so as we said, the championship was declared vacant leading up to WrestleMania 4, and it's the first time that the legendary Hall of Famer to be vacant had ever held the title since Buddy Rogers became champion of the first WWF champion in 1962. Undisputedly, this is the best tournament in WrestleMania history, uh, because it's, you know, the only one. It was proof at the time. It's not the proof anymore, but at the time, big cards don't draw. We had like 15 matches here, um, and the most of any WrestleMania event to this point. 
point, well not to this point, you know, this year we're looking at 13 with a potential 14th match, so kind of round there, but that's still drawn, um, but at the time it kind of proved that the amount of matches just couldn't draw. You'll you, you'll hear the name of like the eventual 45th president of USA mentioned throughout WrestleMania's 4 and 5, the Donald who popped up in the front row, yeah, so... Monsoon and Ventura made copious references to the events taking place at Trump Plaza, which is a bit untrue because Trump Plaza is actually the name of a hotel casino on the boardwalk that opened up in 84, whilst the event took itself to that boardwalk hall, site of future Raw and Smackdown episodes, as well as annual house shows these days, usually in the weeks before WrestleMania. So, why was the, the show then built from Trump Plaza? Well, because Vince McMahon's old friend, Trump, sponsored WrestleMania's 4 and 4 essentially getting naming rights so that's why we keep hearing Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino throughout this event yeah so in terms of um, kind of territories you know this was classed as his house now you know Vince is still on his crusade at this point to take out his territorial competitors especially Jim Crockett's um, who was his biggest competitor along with the NWA, obviously not the rap group. Um, there have been attempts at pay-per-view sabotage, most notably Survivor Series running the same night as Starcade and threats to refuse network broadcasting rights as a result. In his response, Crockett debuted Clash of the Champions directly up against WrestleMania 4, with Ric Flair vs Sting being booked as the main event. Uh, to be honest, I'd probably rather watch that than watch any match on the card here tonight to be honest but in retaliation Vince would book the Omni Coliseum in Atlanta which is the home of the NWA it's the equivalent of the NWA running out of MSG on the same night Greg the Hammer Valentine performs a hat trick tonight so Wrestlemania 1 he was an Continental Champion Wrestlemania 2 Tag Team Champion and uh, Wrestlemania 4 he had a shot at the World Championship so Greg the Hammer Valentine actually became the first man to either defend or compete for all three titles in WWF at Wrestlemania at this point and is actually a rare occurrence over the history the only other men to do so are Bret Hart Daniel Bryan JBL uh, Chris Benoit The Miz and even Hulk Hogan who did two in one night as we know uh, so yeah Greg the Hammer Valentine was first in the list to achieve this the first lady, well, kind of the first lady, she's not the first lady technically, uh, she doesn't like snakes. So, Donald Trump is still married to Ivana Trump at this point, and she's there next to him at that point. According to Jake the Snake, he noticed that Ivana wasn't, uh, Ivana, sorry, wasn't really paying attention to the ring as he just, she just sat there sipping champagne, which, you know, kind of, Jake took liberties to. So after his time limit draw, we didn't see this, Roberts tried to, cost Rude uh, with him with Damien but off camera as he exited the ring he apparently swiped Ivana with Damien causing her to fall back in her chair he claimed it wasn't intentional but he, Bobby Ray Brain he apparently hints in his book that uh, it was worth noting that Trump found the whole thing funny and Jake Roberts became his favourite wrestler for it <laughs> no way this one down in my note says RKO ref knock out of nowhere uh, during the talk beefcake match referee Jimmy Conderis was legitimately knocked out this isn't kayfabe so yeah to achieve the aim of knocking him out um, so he wouldn't check the submission Hart was to come onto the apron and hit him with his megaphone during the fall Corderas took a forward flat bump, spiking his chin into the mat, which legitimately knocked him out, and Jimmy Hart apparently took a bit of heat for the spot, but Jimmy Corderas said it wasn't his fault. We saw a historic reign, I can't believe I actually didn't mention this, Demolition also won the Tag Championships here tonight, they would begin the 478 day title reign, which would last until December 2016, when the New Day would break it, was setting a record of 483 
Over their 16 month reign, which began here at WrestleMania 4, uh, last until July 89, where one half of the four horsemen would be the ones to finally demolish, no pun intended, or well, maybe pun intended, their historic title run. And those men I'm talking about are Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, known as the Brain Busters. So, and the last fact I've got here, I had mentioned about, like, the kind of tournament brackets, I kind of mentioned about, at the beginning, in the kind of background to WrestleMania 4, that it wasn't their initial plans, you know, to kind of the tournament way it was ah so yeah when it was first announced they did reveal the brackets which looked very different from what we saw tonight well Hogan and Andre still got a buy and the reason for that being is because they were the two previous WWF champions but originally the our winners of Rude and Roberts was supposed to face Morocco or Bravo and either Steamboat or Valentine would get Reed or Savage which did, that did remain the same, but the winner of Bigelow and One Man Gang was supposed to face either DiBiase or Duggan. So why was it changed? Well, Savage wasn't the original winner of the tournament. Based on the original brackets, quarters would have been Andre, Hogan Andre, Rude Morocco, Savage Valentine and Gang DiBiase. Hogan would barely survive Andre, Rude goes over Morocco apparently, Savage would beat Hammer and DiBiase pays Gang to fake an injury and forfeit. In the semi, Hogan would beat Rude and DiBiase cheats to beat Savage, setting up Hogan DiBiase in the final, where Hogan would lose apparently due to Andre interfering, giving DiBiase the win by countout, with Hogan then chasing the belt throughout the summer. What actually happened, you have the Honky Talk Man to thank for. He refused to drop an Intercontinental title to Savage in February, with WWE wanting at least one face champion there, and as such, they had to change the tournament. This is what led to the creation of the Million Dollar Belt as a kind of consolation prize to DBOC, but it's not really a consolation, but, you know, it's achieved uh, cult status and has been brought, you know, back and forth many times since. In terms of reception, got a few kind of comments. I actually took this from History of WWE. The general kind of comments, just briefly skimming on here, comment on History of WWE from Steve Riddell, it takes a lot of patience to watch us, and WrestleMania has fallen us as they would top double-digit matches. Uh, the biggest highlights, obviously, clueless Savage's run to the title. Alexander Setti, it's long, really drags at times, although the matches, for the most part, are so short that you never really get bored with the show. Matt Petticord, plodding is hardly the word for it. Thankfully, I've got the anthology DVG, which has been cut down to 215 minutes instead of the four-hour tape version, which mostly appears with more meaningless interviews and such. Scott... Crisculo says the show has definitely got its slow points as an unbelievable 60 match in the card takes a lot of time and some of the tournament matches were dull and short. So, so yeah, so in general it's like, the, it's kind of quite a negative feeling. That's only kind of just basic kind of comments because Echoes, what I was saying, I didn't really enjoy this. It just kind of felt like a bit of a drag to get through it. Following on from the reception side of it, I decided to actually start looking at Dave Meltzer's ratings for WrestleMania. So, breaking it down, his match in the night, believe it or not, is Demolition Strike Force, which he gave it a point score on 2.25. Yeah, so two and a half stars. Twitman Man Battle Royal got half a star. Ted DiBiase versus Jim Duggan got a quarter a star. Morocco Bravo, half a star. Ricky Steamboat Valentine got two and a quarter stars. Butch Reed versus Savage, one star. Bigelow versus Gang, no stars. Jake Roberts versus Rude, two stars. Hercules Ultimate Warrior, half a star. Quarter a star for Hogan Andre, two. Debiossi Morocco, half a star. Savage Valentine, two and a quarter stars. Tonk versus Beefcake, zero. 
England doesn't Heenan versus Bulldogs and Beware, quarter of a star. Savage one man gang, half a star. And in the main event, DBOC Savage, two and a quarter stars. So he did rate the tag match as the best match of the night. In terms of his rating for WrestleMania as a whole, he gave WrestleMania 4 three quarters of a star. Now, WrestleMania 1, his kind of rating was, you know, one and a quarter. WrestleMania 2 was one star. WrestleMania 3 was... I'm guessing these are stars. It's just figures. It's I've got decimal points. So, yeah, WrestleMania 3 is one point, like one and a half, really. So, WrestleMania 3 at this point is the best WrestleMania we saw, and that makes WrestleMania 4 the worst WrestleMania we've seen. So, yeah, looking to kind of awards we'll go about tonight. First of all, let's check out the uh, appearance tracker. So, we saw a shitload of debuts here tonight, folks. I'm not going to rattle through them all. I've covered them all. 25 debuts in total here. Even with those with 25 there, we had a total appearance tracking of 61 performers here at WrestleMania tonight. And that, uh, believe it or not, at this one WrestleMania, the, more than half of the people who have ever been at WrestleMania appeared on this night. At this point, a total of 117 people have appeared at WrestleMania so far, 61 here tonight. We won't see Dangerous Danny Davis, Butch Reed, Superstar Billy Graham, Frenchie Martin, Oliver Humperdinck, Tama, Sam Houston, Sika, Ron Bass, Jim Pearls, or Ken Pantera ever again. Bam Bam Bigelow, as we said, he won't be seen till WrestleMania 10. And, yeah, that's kind of it, folks. So that's the appearance tracker. Match of the night for me, um, Savage Valentine, I thought it was a match tonight. An open mission to Demolition beginning their famous tag run. Man of the Hour is without a doubt Macho Man Randy Savage for his ascent to championship. Call of the night came from Ventura. He couldn't hit an airball purely because Yuka in his two WrestleMania appearances has tried so hard to put himself over. God loves a trial, but he put himself over as desperate. And as Ch Police Chief Grady said in Super Troopers, I scratched your back, Bruce. I scratched it good and hard. Now either you scratch my back or you're going to get my size 10 boot up your ass. Desperation is a stinky cologne, John. Desperation is a stinky cologne. Signing of the night, Axe and Smash will thrash. It just reminds me of our first one we saw at WrestleMania 1, stud the dud. Botch of the night is Morocco's shit attempt at a Vader vault bomb. Fan of the night, without a doubt, El Presidente Donald Trump for pretending to give a shit about wrestling when he really just wants to line his pockets. So, the time in ring versus the pay-per-view length, with a pay-per-view length of 3 hours, 3, 33 minutes and 22 seconds, uh, that's the network version, which has also been cut down. We have an in-ring time of 1 hour, 54 minutes, 20 seconds, given a time difference of 1 hour, 38, 54. I mean, we have more ring action than any other shite happening tonight. But we had 16 matches, so you would expect that. I'm not really sure how I feel about that, but yeah, I'm glad we had more in-ring and our highest overall to date. And that now leads me to the 10 count. 1, 2, 3, Which, after careful consideration, and I mean real consideration, this WrestleMania's 10 count had to be compared to the one I gave for WrestleMania 2, which, if you recall correctly, I gave it the free count. For WrestleMania 4, I didn't enjoy it. I felt drained and traumatised to the point. I actually started up the You Call It episodes as a result, because watching this clusterfuck was tough. Uh, no, that was WrestleMania 2, sorry. Uh, so with that in mind, it's fairly easy to conclude that WrestleMania 4 is worse than WrestleMania 2. Meltzer says it himself, that I've given you a hint of this way this is going. And whilst it had its moments, I'm happy to see Macho Man as a champion, like I said, but the booking was awful, the tournament was awful, and there's no means 
was this a WrestleMania? It's a king of the ring with a win and become champion. It's like you and how it's like the Royal Rumble, like I mean, the champion being decided. It's you know it's a special, but it shouldn't be your fault. What's supposed to be the biggest event of the year, and it barely felt like a WrestleMania too. Like if the WrestleMania signs weren't there, I wouldn't have believed that it was a WrestleMania. And for my rating, I'm going to give it to quote Gorilla Monsoon. Two count only. Yeah, two out of ten. I'm going to give it. The sooner we move on from this, the better, because it was just a letdown. And it's easy to see it. Why? Because the buy rate was so low. There's no draw, not even Hogan Andre. And to be honest, it, maybe it should be higher than the count, but it's worse because. Worse than WrestleMania 2 because. At least I enjoyed more about WrestleMania 2 and could at least find it funny. I, I had stuff to joke about wrestling too, like watching this, it just felt like a bog standard wrestling so and actually, for this purpose of the episode, it felt tough to actually kind of prepare some of it, so I can't really justify it being better than wrestling too, which is why I'm forcibly having to give it a 2 to make it worse. So, yeah, that was WrestleMania 4, folks, and unfortunately we'll be staying here in Trump a lot, close. Sadly, I can't afford the kind of sweet the monsoon can, so I'll be camping out on a bench on the boardwalk. We will return to our next episode, WrestleMania 5, where the mega powers explode! Until then, you can hear all previous episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Podcast.com, TuneIn Radio, and probably other places I'm not even aware of. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, at WrestleMeaPod. Uh, there is a Facebook page there, I don't really use it for us. Or you can email us if you want to get in touch with comments, feedback, or anything, or if there's anything you'd like to get involved in, at WrestleManiaPodcast at gmail.com. I'm always happy to hear from you guys, interact with you guys, especially on Twitter, love getting your comments and stuff, so I'll be honest, I'm glad to be back after my hiatus, but that about does it for me folks, so thank you very much for listening, I hope you all enjoy it, and I'll see you soon for Race Me or 5, I'm your host John Sorrow, and I've not got long sideburns, my hair isn't slicked back, I'm not coming to your town, and my Cadillac will likely be my 99 Honda Civic, as I'm just a honky podcast guy, just a honky podcast guy. I may be cool, I may be cocky, but I'm hopefully not bad. Hope you enjoyed this episode, folks. Take guys and see you soon.